2: Hey now, welcome to another episode of Run Fast Option. I am your host, Chris Vassar, aka Coach Vass. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about this episode. When this podcast was created, one of the first ideas that I had was to once a month or once every four or five episodes feature an offense. That's a little off the beaten path. Not something you see every week. And either have one or multiple coaches that run the system. To come on. Explain how they do things. And give a unique perspective on the game. So we're going to start that today with the Power T offense. With my friends Gus Kapolka and Dave Poltrock. Both stand up guys. They both are experts at this offense. And really believe in it. It was a fascinating conversation. You always hear the cliche and I find it rather trite that there's more than one way to skin a cat but there's a reason it is a cliche because it's true and these guys are living proof and it was really interesting hearing these guys' story hearing how they got to this offense and the belief and conviction that they have in something that goes back over a hundred years and not only how they view the offense but how it guides the philosophy of of each of their programs so You may not run the power team. You may be a five wide spread guy, but the perspectives, the strategies, how they do things is fascinating. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. And I wanna thank those guys for giving me all their time. And believe me, I took a lot of their time. Also, Gus is the first guest to ever send me a gift for having him on the show. So Gus, thanks for the Red Bull. Appreciate you, brother. All right, you know the drill, housekeeping. Oh, you're There are two big pieces of news. First, my conversation with Kurt Warner it has been uploaded into my YouTube, which you can get to by going to youtube.com slash coachfastfootball. It was a really fascinating conversation with Kurt. He debuted his new platform called Quarterback Confidential. You can check that out by going to kurtwarner.qbc.com. We discussed how he found out what type of quarterback he is, adapting to the game as it evolved, the toughest defenses and defenders that he ever faced, the infamous Mike Martz offense, and its pass protection, how he reads defenses, and so much more. Check it out, youtube.com slash Football. which brings me to my next piece of news, which is we've also released another video. It only took almost a month to make. For you guys curious and defense and coverages, I did part two of my two part series on the Belichick Flores Dime 5.0 package. That's out on the channel as well. If you'd like to check that out, a lot of fun putting together, but it was kind of torture in a way because it took forever. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Vast, the show's account at RunVastOption. If you want to check out the defensive stuff and spy, and I know you do, at MDGA Podcast. Knocked it out of the park Last three episodes are TCU, Notre Dame, and Texas coaches A lot of great information So go ahead and check that out Also check out the Patreon Patreon.com slash Got a ton of stuff up there We're getting more and more offensive coaches every week Every week I'm seeing it And they're coming in the Discord Asking, oh I'm just curious about this coverage And how do you do this Yeah, we know what you're doing But that's okay There's no secrets you come join us. You see a film library with stuff you can't get anywhere else. Clinics with coaches you can't talk to anywhere else. In the Discord channel with some of the best coaches in America, sharing ideas behind closed doors. So the enemy can't spy on us. Also, for you offensive coaches out there, maybe you're playing the wing T. Maybe you guys haven't seen in a while and need to refresh your course. Check out my CoachTube course, the last one I did the end of 2020, defending the wing T, we go hard after it. A to Z plan that you can install with film clips, diagrams of every single play, different formations. And then at the end, I just attach the video. So if there's anything you want to pull out without the stop and start nature of you know, a clinic, you can do that as well. Also check out the website, coachvass.com for all your needs. And the only link you really got to remember, linktree.com slash coachvass. If you're Kind of hanging out one day and you realize, oh, God, I need one of those tears mugs or oh, man, I forgot that wing tea thing he talked about. All you got to remember is linktree.com slash coach fast. All the links are there. So check that out. Also, stay tuned for my Coach CoachTube course of the week, as well as the huddle message, as well as a message on the new huddle camera, which is awesome. I got nothing else to say right now. So let's kick it over to Gus and Dave strap in we're about to talk about some country ass hard nose tough football enjoy let's get into it man my guests plural today are gus kapolka head coach at cedar springs high school in cedar springs michigan and dave poltrock hope i got that right i think it's right OC at Reagan High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you, coach. So one of the things when I outlined doing this podcast, I wanted to do one show a month or one show every, you know, fourth or fifth show on an offense that I've either researched or have been a part of or have seen that is a little bit off the beaten path, it's a little different. And I heard I've heard a couple coaches say this that you know, the key to success, if you're in a place where in the spoiler alert, you know, I, I have read some of the clinics and things that you've done that if you don't have the best players all the time, you got to be different. And I funny enough, uh, we were talking about this during the pre-interview during the pre-interview, uh, Gus and I had, I'd sat in on a three back, the power T clinic back at Glacier. I think it was 2015 and and, and Gus was, Nice enough to sit there and talk to me, uh, even though he knew I was a dirty defensive coach, just to give me an understanding of, you know, because we had seen it the year before, it it had gotten sprung on us in a game where we were winning and kicking ass, and then all of a sudden, a team that had only lined up, and they were doing it out of the power eye, but it was most of the same base plays, and, um, you know, it, they had sprung it on us and we almost lost the game a game we didn't deserve to lose or, or come close to losing we ended up winning but we got damn lucky to be 100% honest they dropped a open touchdown we forced a little pressure on on a corner route there was like a fall down route and then get up and run to the corner but we had put a little pressure and the guy short armed it but we deserved to lose that game you know full stop uh, and it was one of those where luck was on our side and so that off season, I was like, I got, I, I, can't get caught again. And you know, Gus spent some time, and I follow both of these guys. Coach Poltrock, win the city. Always seeing him on Twitter as well, and I really respect these guys. And so, top of the list when I said I want to do this show, and I, I want to do some different offense. The number one thing, I even hit you. I think I hit you both up before the show had even started. I was like, I want to have you guys on together. Um, and I didn't know that you knew each other. (laughs) I just, I'm like, I want to do power T Gus, Dave done. And then I got talking and you're like, oh yeah, I love that guy. He's the best. So it kind of, it worked out. But before we get into all the millions of questions that I have specifically about the offense, kind of want to hear about your background. Um, coach Kapolka first, give us a brief background on your coaching journey and how you ended up at Cedar Springs
1: yeah uh you know I grew up in Warren Michigan, uh, which I think most people their experience with that is is the movie eight mile with Eminem. Uh, so the where where they film the movie at that that's my neighborhood that's where I grew up at um so kind of a, a blue collar you know place little you know factory spot uh, northern suburb there of of detroit uh, obviously played played high school football, played a lot of sports in high school sports in high school uh, and then and and then ended up. Um, at Eastern Michigan University, uh, I is a, is a walk-on player, um, and my college career lasted exactly one contact practice. Uh, I tore my ACL in, in, in my first practice there. Uh, I had a, a lengthy rehab. Uh, we went through a bunch of, I think, three coaches in, in about a seven-month period of time uh, and decided at that point it was, uh, it was time to, to get my degree and, and move on. Um, and, uh, basically got a, got a degree in history, but, but did not, uh, immediately go into student teaching, um, kind of did some, some coaching on the side and and decided, you know, at that point that I wanted to to make a career out of it. And, um, you know, got my teaching degree, got a, got a job right out, right out of that, uh, up North in the, in the Northern part of the state of Michigan at a, in a small school, uh, Boeing city. Um, And then uh, was the defensive coordinator there. Uh, I mean, my background had always been on on the defensive side of the ball in college. Um, So I was at D.C. there for for four years Um, and then took a a head coaching job uh, at a a school um, on the west side of the state of Michigan at Manistee uh, that, It was one of those jobs where nobody really applied for it. Uh, the school had not won uh, a game in in four years. Um, you know, inherited a a senior class of kids that had never won a football game. Um, and that's from middle school on up to, to varsity. Uh, and that first year we, we won four games, which, uh, which was a big deal in that town. Uh, and was there, there for nine years, uh, and, and basically built the program up, uh, you know, from the ground, uh, and then got an opportunity to, to move uh, down to Grand Rapids where, uh, my wife, uh, my wife is faculty at Grand Valley State University, uh, which is, which is here in Grand Rapids. Uh, I think people would know that is, is the place where Brian Kelly got his start, his coaching career started. Um, so moved down here and, and got a job at Cedar Springs, which is, uh, you know, larger school in Michigan. We're we're just under 1,100 students. Uh, play in in the third biggest classification in in the state of Michigan. Playing a very competitive league. Uh, it's a it's a 50 school league uh, in the Grand Rapids area and the west side of the state of Michigan. Um, and we've had a lot of success. Um, so this is going to be year 17 for me as a head coach and I've been a, a power T guy for the last 16 years. And, and it has been very, very good for me. Um, and you know, it's, it's like, I compare it to, uh, to a marriage, you know, sickness and health and good times and bad till death do us part. We're going to ride this thing out in, into the sunset. So, cause you, I mean, I think one of the things when we get into this is I mean, you got to have some thick skin you know, if you're going to run this offense, because, you know, there are going to be times that, that it doesn't look good. And, you know, you've got parents who are like, hey, this doesn't look like anything that I see on TV on Saturday or Sunday, and this thing's not working, so we must be doing it wrong. Uh, so, I mean, you've got to have a lot of self-confidence. You've got to have some thick skin. you got to have, obviously, belief in yourself and your coaches and your players, um, because if you do do it right, um, I mean, it can it can be very, very good to
2: you. That's awesome, and and I'm guessing also some job security um, and built up um, goodwill. You know, I, I know guys that Tim Murphy, who's a longtime double wing coach, legend out in the West Coast, and even he who won a lot, said, "You know, we start getting the shotgun," and ran the doubling out of that because parents would be like, "Oh, we're running the spread," which is crazy because they're like foot to foot. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. nobody split out. And, of course, I say that, and this year they ran more spread, but, you know, that was the sort of a thing that he was fighting against. But I'm guessing being in Michigan where the weather the weather plays a factor a lot, you know, I know I'm friends with Pat Fox, just had him on last night on the Patreon, and, you know, he's talked about that ad nauseum, being in Michigan, that you have to have mm-hmm. a, an offense that's built to win in December. And, um, yeah, I wonder how much regionally that affects it. I mean, like, I think in Florida where it's the the weather and that it's like Michigan to me. And again, this is an outsider. Maybe I'm being stereotypical, but I, I, first of all, Miss Michigan and Wisconsin coaches are some of my favorite in the country, but they just seem like tough people, like tough, great guys. Like all the coaches are great, but just tough individuals. Like, I think, Florida they'd be like man you know throw the fade (laughs) you know where I don't think that would be like I'm sure it's embraced more where you guys live I don't know I, I and again maybe I'm being overly simplistic but cold weather tough people I'm sure there's guys that just embrace this stuff you know what I mean they eat it up
1: yeah and and I think the other thing too in Michigan is this offense is in the high school ranks has been pervasive for the better part of, of going on 60 years now. So, um, you know, when I, when I got to the school I'm at now, they were, they were playing Zealand West, um, w- which is a school where John shillado and John, if, if Irv Ziegler is, is the Godfather of the power to then, then John shillado is, is Michael Corleone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they were, they were, they were already playing Zealand West and getting, and getting beat very badly. Um, so to walk in and say, Hey, we're going to run what they're running that that's kind of an easy sell. You know, there, there's right. some it, people like accepted like, Hey, that's, you know, Cedar's a, a power T team and Xenia West is a power T team and, and they're successful. Um, whereas I think maybe if you are going to a state or an area that, that it was completely foreign, I think you'd probably have a little bit tougher sell job.
2: Right now that makes sense. I mean, being in Northern California, it's funny. I was there for, uh, if you include the Valley, which is a little bit away, but in that area for about 13, 14 years. And I I love football, and for many reasons. But one is, especially offensively, there's, well, even defensively, too. There was, in the area, there were a lot of two-back fly teams, like split-back fly teams. Yeah. And exponentially so, because the offense was invented in the area. And yeah. there were some really successful teams in the 80s and 90s that ran it. Mark Speckman, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's the fly guy. Mm-hmm. Fly Guru was the head coach at Gilroy High School in Northern California, where I live, Gar- Garlic Capital of the World. He's now I think he's back at Willamette, or no, he's at UC Davis. But there's a bunch of disciples. But I tell people, yeah, I tell people in Florida that, oh yeah, our rival runs the two back, you know, two two back split back fly offense. So they're like the what? You know what I mean? Because it's just that nobody does it out here or, and they had this old 50 defense. A bunch of guys worked at this school called Oak Grove. And for some reason, serendipity or whatever the hell you want to call it, a bunch of them became head coaches. So this Oak Grove 50 defense has kind of spread its tentacles. And like at one point, like half the teams were running in the area and they all had the same checks to every formation. It's just funny how regionally that works. So, Dave, I want to kind of talk to you now about your journey and 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 how you got to where you are, and then how you came about running this offense.
0: Well, I grew up in Edgerton, Wisconsin. Uh, played for a Hall of Fame coach, Jack Gregory, and his sons. Um, I, on graduation, went to Whitewater. Uh, played football, and uh, my my freshman year of of college, uh, one of the uh, the Gregory sons called me up. He was the head baseball coach in Edgerton and asked me to be his JV coach. So as, as an 18 year old in college, I was uh, football in the fall and coaching baseball in the spring. Um, and that got my, that piqued my interest. I was a coach uh, right away. And I've, I've, you know, become a five teacher, um, health teacher. And uh, after um, after graduation at, at Whitewater, I uh, went back to Edgerton and started teaching and um, started coaching and I probably could have stayed there for life, um, but I just put in an application to be a GA at St. Ambrose University and uh, got the call and I went and ran with it, uh, St. Ambrose Little NAI School in Davenport, Iowa, um, and I got there at the right time. Um, you know, I was offensive GA and our, our head coach Todd Sturdy um, after after he spent a lifetime at, at St. Ambrose as a player and then a coach and then a head coach uh, went off to uh, Eastern Washington, then Washington State then Iowa State and um, our DC uh, moved on to Northwest Missouri State and uh, he's now the head coach there, Rich Wright and uh, he actually hired Todd to be uh, an OC, so the, the whole circle of coaching comes around. Um, and uh, I had a great experience at St. Ambrose. Uh, moved back to to uh, Wisconsin and took a, high, a head high school job. I was a head football coach for two years, um, and I won one game. It was not a successful stint. Uh, you, you'll believe that I was a spread coach when I was doing that. Um
2: wow. And
0: uh yeah, I was. I yeah. threw the ball quite a bit. And I, I thought everything I <laughs> learned out of uh St. Ambrose and with the guys that were chucking the ball around, I thought I could duplicate that at the high school level and it was not as easy as I thought. Um and then, you know, I I, I had a couple different jobs as a rec coordinator and I worked at an alternative school and um so I, I took some time and I, I bounced around to a lot of different high school jobs in the area. I coached with almost every guy that stood up in my wedding. Um, and uh, eventually, I, I, after coaching a lot of great places, I ended up at uh, Reagan High School in the city of Milwaukee. Um, we had the opportunity to to start a program uh, basically from scratch. We were in a co-op uh, of like, three different schools. And our school said, Hey, let's let's start as many of our own athletic programs as we can um, and so we, we we built a program from the base up and I've been searching the power T offense for for quite a while uh, prior to that because I just had a bad taste in my mouth as being a head coach and and losing games and I thought what what do you what kind of offense can you build a team around and uh, a lot of a lot of YouTube video searching and a lot of deep internet search, uh, you know, led me on to uh, um, Scotty Erickson up in Hurley, who's at the time was the only other power T coach in the state of Wisconsin. And and that finally opened the doors to some of the coaches in, in Michigan like us. And, um, you know, once you start talking with those the coaches over in Michigan, they're they're a little reluctant at first, but once they figure out that what you're in it for and, and you know, who, you know, and um, man, they, they really helped out uh, my knowledge of the game. And um, we've been running the power T for, for six years. And it's the only offense we've ever run. Um, we have yet to kick an extra point or a field goal. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, we won a few games and, and we're trying to win the city as many times as we can. It's, it's a, it's been a fun rallying point for our team um, and our football program have, having this Power T offense. So that's my background, guys.
2: All right. I want to take some bets. What do you think? Who do you think is a more secretive group? Now, I am mean, obviously going to be biased because you're in one of them, but do you think the Power T guys are more secretive or the Texas slot T guys? Uh,
1: I'll tell you what the Texas slot T guys. If you're if you're another weird offense guy and identify yourself as a weird offense guy, they're much more welcoming.
2: Wait, am, am I allowed I'm to say doing, that, I'm doing, Like, or is this like I'm, like I can make fun of Italians because I'm Italian? Kind of a thing. Like, am I allowed to refer to as a weird? Like, what what should I call these type of offenses without being insulting? And I love them, by trailing. the way. I mean, like I said, I just want to be very clear to anybody that's listening. I don't. I'm not disparaging this offense or any other unique offense otherwise okay. I don't know why I mean I wouldn't be dedicating episodes to this stuff if I didn't love them and find them fascinating but um what what should I refer to unique offenses what's the what's the proper framing contrarian there you go contrarian I like it all right that keeps me much safer
0: well you know it, it took me a while to figure out what the power tea was called I mean so many of the the guys in Michigan that are just old school guys it, it it was just wing T and it was mm. so confusing when I first started looking at it. I said, well, I played wing T ball in high school. I said, this is different wing T, you know? So yeah. just trying to find information as to what guys are calling it. And then you start talking to different coaches and you're calling it different things. And I, I think as of lately, you know, the power T is kind of taken an identity, um, but that's how secretive it was. Like these guys, they weren't even consistent in what they called it. I I guess you could probably speak more to that Gus and in the coaching circles that you're, you're around, because like you said, it's 40, 40 some years of it going in Michigan. Well, I mean, we've only had it in the state of Wisconsin. One team is doing it for maybe the past 20, you know? Yeah.
1: It's, 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 it was all like, for me, I had to have an in to get, to, to the guy that had the information. Right. So <laughs> like in Michigan, it's, it's Irv Ziegler and it's, and it's John Schill. What is right? this so boardwalk Ziegler,
2: empire? <laughs>
1: like, oh. I'm telling, <laughs> Well here, so, so here, so, so go one step further, John, like coach Ziegler's on Twitter. Right. So he's, you know, an older guy retired, but technologically still, you know, still pretty savvy, but coach Schillado is still coaching, you know, 300 plus coaching victories in the state of Michigan. He doesn't own a cell phone, right? So if you want to you wanna talk ball, you've got to call his house. You've got to talk to his wife to get to him. And then you, you've got to set up a time to meet. Um, so, you know, for the longest time in Michigan, if you wanted to learn the offense, it's like you had to know a guy to get to the guy to get to the information. So and it's not like, you know, you could get on the internet or you could buy a coach's choice book. Um i mean it was old school you needed need you needed somebody to vouch for you to get you in the door to to get the information
2: that's wild that's so wild i mean belonging to well so i we're, the thing the world i live in is a little different because i'm a four two five t c u guy but there's only one place <laughs> to go, and that guy's mm-hmm. really secretive and so um Luckily, I'm friends with a couple of former assistants and current, you know, a current assistant. I had him on a couple of weeks ago on the defensive one, Paul Gonzalez. But yeah, I get it. That's honestly, it's part of the reason I started branching away from the defense is because like they had a really unique defensive line play with Dick Bumpus, but he retired in 2014 and they were the only people playing, the you line know, or the D line like that. And it was fascinating, but also like frustrating because. If you couldn't get them on the phone or they wouldn't talk to you, you were cut off. That's why I started studying the Saban stuff. I'm like, all right, I need to study another defense where more than one place is running it and the guys that are running it aren't, you know, treating this like it's the New York Mafia, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I get it, but I also, it's so funny because a lot of guys with the, what was it, contrarian offenses, they're very secretive, but they sandbag you. They'll be they'll be like you have to have, you know, the old joke about the wing teeth, the Dakota ring. But then, yeah, if you talk to him, ah, there's not much to it. I'm like, OK, OK, it can't be it can't be both. You can't be super secretive and it be really simple or, or like maybe not simple, because I think there's value placed on simplicity, which I don't think is always good. Like people, some people assume simple is good, complex is bad and then the other way around. Like I think on offense, simple is good, complex is bad, but on defense, a lot of people look at simple as bad and complex is good. And I don't know if I agree with either of them, but like, oh, there's no secrets. Okay, there's no secrets, then why won't you talk to anybody? Like, stop bullshitting me. <laughs> like you can't fool me, dude. Yeah. You know, so that's always what's funny about it is because and what's interesting is that I love about these type of offenses. Are most of the coaches are understated and very like, oh shucks, we're just trying to get by, like just trying to, you know, we're just trying to do our thing. And then they're they're you watch their teams and they play like trained assassins, you know. And <laughs> they're always so like, yeah. I don't know if we're going to be able to get even enough guys on the bus, you know. <laughs> oh shucks, the Lou Holtz, you know, uh, sandbagging game. And then all of a sudden they come out and they're just like on down, they're like all snapping down like the North Korean military. I'm like, oh my God, I'm terrified and I'm on the sideline. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I want to talk about kind of the overall philosophy. It's, it's you mentioned something, Coach. So I uh in, in prepping for this podcast, Coach Poltruck, you mentioned that uh, you know, only one team ran at Wisconsin. Well, I think you sent me a presentation from a couple of years ago. And then one from this year and it jumped up from one to four. Did, did I, do I have that right?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's a couple spots uh, where, where it's growing. Um, you know, it's, it's branched out from Michigan from a, from a couple different guys. Um, and, you know, Scotty Erickson up at Hurley has been doing it forever, but he's like on the border of the UP. So, I mean, if he falls down What's in the right the, direction, he's in I'm Michigan. sorry to interrupt.
2: UP, is that Upper Peninsula? Up, yeah,
0: the u the okay. the, Yeah, oh. that's the, I forget where, this national podcast here. We're not We're not just in uh, the- uh, We've had <laughs>
2: listeners in Madagascar, my friend, the second week of the pie, I swear to <laughs> wow. God, because I get a report no, on like awesome. the countries. Week two, Don Brown, like back in 2019, number 48 country, Madagascar. So we are worldwide- <laughs>
0: That's great. Um, Yeah, the UP. So, I mean, he's right up on the border of Wisconsin and Michigan. so, I mean, technically he plays a lot of schools still in Michigan, Um, but we've, we've seen some growth here, uh, you know, around the, the uh, suburbs of Milwaukee, there's uh, another school running it. And there's a couple of schools up by, up by Hurley near the UP that are, are running it as well. So uh, I think, I think probably Minnesota has the biggest growth with, uh, with Steve Hamilton uh, and the success he's had at a school called Elk river um, where they won a, a state championship and uh, they've had a, a, a spinoff of a number of schools that have learned the offense from him. And, um, you know, like, like John Shilto and, and Irv Sigler are, are, are the guys in Michigan teaching it to everyone. Now all of a sudden, you know, Steve Hamilton's in that type of category over in, in uh, Minnesota and uh They've had some success there, so it, you know it's growing. I, I think the poverty community is, um, you know, spreading its wings a little bit, and you're seeing, you know, definitely, uh, you know, as offenses goes, I, I think as popular as, as the spread and throwing and RPOs are, you know, I think at some point there'll be an emergence of uh, maybe these dinosaur offenses or a run-based offense that will pique some people's interest, which, I mean, those people reach out to me and, and want to know more. And um, I think over time, it'll keep growing, especially with what we've been able to do with, uh, you know, virtual coaches clinic and Zoom clinics and, and the growth of podcasts. And, you know, uh, people got time on their hands and and they're sharing their knowledge and their and their wealth of knowledge through uh, technology and in the COVID world. So we'll see where it goes from here. I, I wanted to grow in Wisconsin, but yet I I like being one of the few teams that run is what makes it unique. Um, so it is kind of a catch 22.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask you about that besides, you know, you, you believe in something fundamentally to your core, both of you. Um, and, and you, you want to share it. I think by, by nature, especially in this game, like we want to help people, we want to share. And, you know, like you'll talk to a team, because I saw your arc of your teams from when you started running the Power T to where they are now, Dave, and the success that you've had. And so I know that you're talking to a a coach who's maybe on the other side of Wisconsin, or it could be anywhere, but I'm just, you're at the coaching, you know, the state coaching clinic back when we can meet in person. And you talk to somebody, oh, man, we're struggling. I just took over this new program. I, I'm a defensive guy. I don't know what to do on offense you're thinking well you know maybe you could run this because it's been successful and naturally we like to preach about what we've been successful with not because we want to show everybody show everybody how cool we are but because we want to help people right but then there's that whole thing like well but then I lose my competitive edge and I wonder well you, you answered the question about the catch-22 but do you think that the coach and I, I forgot his name the guy without the cell phone and then Irv because I just looked up Irv. He's only got ten followers, nine followers on Twitter, and he's only following ten people. Now I don't, it may be a different Irv Ziggler, but um, it's, it's the same guy. It is the same guy. Well, neither of you followed him, so I'm surprised. I was surprised, but
1: uh, I, I think I, I might might be a different guy then.
2: But a guy like Irv and the gentleman think, without the phone, where you have to like call, and yeah. then the secretary has to come in, and then they have the pigeon fly in the message or whatever. I wonder if some of those guys are a little ticked, you know, like, Hey, why is everybody running around talking about this? You know, they kept it secret for so long. Like, do you think that they, that's something that they're kind of irritated? And I know like Irv's retired. So at some point it's like, but some people are, some people are protective about that stuff. Like there's, there's secrets on, I have a few things on defense that I don't share anybody with. And I I don't know if I take them to my grave, but like, I don't really like to share, you know, cause you never want, you want to keep some stuff in your back pocket. Um, but I wonder, do, do you think they care at all? Do you think that's even an issue? Uh, I, I, I speak to John
1: quite a bit. I mean, we're, I, I live 15 minutes away from his school and, and we have, we have common opponents and we played each other. Um, and John is, still he's not putting all his cards on the table and, and quite honestly, there are certain things today that, that, if we got into him, I probably would not want to go that, that detailed. Um, but I mean, John has been, like I said, 300 plus wins, uh, I four, or five state championships, uh, I think seven or eight finals appearances at three different schools. I mean, the, the record speaks for, for itself. Um, but, but he, you know, he's, he speaks, he spoke at our virtual clinic last month. Um, you know, but he's still, you know, kind of old school in the sense that, you know, we're going to keep it tight to the vest. You're not, we're not going to put all the cards on the table, but with that being said, um, you know, once you're in, if you're earnestly seeking that information because you want to, you want to help your kids, you want to help your program, uh, by far and away, one of the most generous people I've ever, you know, I, I, you know, I, I make this statement all the time that I I had a biological father who since passed away, and I have two football dads, and, and John is one of them. So, um, you know, still tight to the vest, but, you know, once once you're in the club, I think you, you get the keys to the castle. You know what I'm saying?
2: Do you think there's anything that he still hasn't told you after all these years? Like some secret that... F's.
1: Well, like I said, mu- mu- he's my football dad, much like my biological father. Every now and then he will take me out behind the woodshed. So,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah, I guarantee you there's, there, yeah, there, I, I, I've not gotten all, I've gotten a lot of great information from him. And, and like I said, he taught me the offense, um, but we have, we have played him, um, uh, three times since I've, I've been at Cedar Mm. uh, in those games have not not gone well
2: for us at all. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. I didn't think uh, you guys lived near each other. Of course, he's going to want to not give you everything. Uh, I bet you the day he retires though, you're going to be marching over his house and like, all right, dude, it's over. What do you got? Give me the rest of it.
1: No, oh, I'm hoping I'm hoping he retires he'll be in the press box for me on Friday night.
2: There you go. He'll be <laughs> telling you those secrets on Friday. There you go. I've never thought of it that way. All right, so let's talk. We talked a lot about the nuts or not the nuts and bolts. We've talked a lot about kind of where you guys have come from on the offense. Let's let's get into the offense specifically. So and I'll kind of leave this up I I know, again, another peek behind the curtain. I know that I had it scheduled for which question was which, but if there's somebody, sure. if there's one of you guys who think you'd be better at answering the question than the other, you can be, be honest, like you'd be like, pass it along. But uh, my next question is, you know, can you give us a history on the offense and how it came to be and how it's lasted over a century? I mean, does there any, either of you guys want to take that question?
0: Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, I've, I've done some research with just the T the offense and the Bears and Stanford and um you know, Clark's fantasy and Halas and um, you know, just researching old old football books and old playbooks and um, I've never been much of a historian, but some things have caught my eye as they've gotten old and crusty I guess um, and what, what I came across was was a guy by the name of uh, Elmer Engel. and he you know he played at University of Illinois and in back in the 40s and 42, he was MVP. Um, went and served in World War II and came back and played in the 47 Rolls Bowl. Um, and he ended up in, in Bay City, Michigan, um, yeah, where he took over a team that had a, like a 20 game losing streak. And in 23 years, he went like 165, 34, and 8 record. So he, he brought that T formation to Michigan um, and won a lot of games, had a lot of success. Now, um, as far as I know the history to be, um, Irv got the, the, the head coaching job in Sheboygan in 1978, um, and Elmer's son, Jim and John Engle, were uh, were hired by him. Um, and in in deciding... You know what to coach and and how to move forward. Elmer gave a day long clinic. Came down and and from what what I know, Coach up and and I've talked with Jim Engel on the phone and he's uh, retired, um, and uh, he's told me some stories about his dad and uh, his history and um and and that's been a really. <laughs> fascinating uh relationship and and uh interesting learning the, the history in the background and then you know so irv runs now the the t formation and i, I don't know where it morphed into the the trap uh power off tackle and the, and the quarterback key play like somehow it morphed into the core offense that we know as power t coaches and we identify ourselves with um I, I think Irv is the guy that put the stamp on that. And uh he you know, he went on to he had a forty four game win streak uh at Sheboygan and he has a coaching stance at Belding and and then at Olivet College and um you know John has showed to said that he's you know, he got sick of Irv beating him, and uh as as their, their teams played and he ultimately learned the offense from Irv. So um you know, I've done all this research because I wanted to find my history of kind of the family tree. And, um, my, my branch takes off from Jim Engel, uh, who went up to Wakefield in the, in the UP, the upper peninsula of uh, Michigan. And then eventually he taught it to Scotty Erickson over at Hurley. And then, uh, I ended up, you know, friending Scotty and and he let me in and, and and gave me the the secrets and the keys and taught me the offense. So like my personal history, you know, go, I think as most, most key coaches, I mean, you can, it's only a few steps back. There's only a few, you know, grandparents and great grandparents of this thing. Um, You know, every, everyone kind of comes back to this, this coaching tree. And to me, I find that fascinating. Like how many other coaches can say that? Like the, the offense originated here with these ideas, and then it was brought to Michigan, right? And then it formed into what we know and love. And and you've pretty much been taught by one of, you know, three people, four people. Um, and I, I find that as unique as anything that's involved in football. And, you know, I'm sure I'm leaving things out, Gus, and if you can speak more as to, uh, you know, fill in some of the gaps that I have, but um,
1: that, I, mean, I think it's a fascinating that's,
0: history.
1: Yeah, well, that—that's, I mean, spot on. I mean, and, and obviously, uh, you know, my relationship with John, and and even the the thing for me recently is is developing a relationship with Coach Ziegler, uh, who I had over to my house, and I mean that was that was something else. Um, you know, he's he's an older gentleman. Um, and he's been there, done that. And he is an old school guy and he showed up to my house with a hockey duffel bag full of VHS tapes. And we're going to, we're no going to watch tape. Wow. Yeah. And he, well, he showed up to my house and I go, I go, what's in the bag? He goes, we're going wa- to watch, we're going to watch tape. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to coach you up. And I go coach. I'm like, I don't have, I don't have a, a VHS, <laughs> uh, uh, Anymore, and he's so <laughs> we ended up. He has he had some DVDs from Olivet College uh, when he was the coach there that I ended up just kind of ripping really quick in the huddle and, and we watched it. But um, just I mean, just a super sharp mind and, and um, I mean really insightful and, and and different. You know, approaches things differently. Whereas um, you know, John is is very much like, hey, we're in the T. Like, we're not breaking it. We're not putting a wing out there. We're not, you know, we're not putting a tight slot. Where Coach Ziegler, uh, particularly when he was at uh, Olivet College and then at Belden, uh, they were a winger, a tight slot probably 85, 90% of the time. So they were very rarely in the tea. Um, But, yeah, I think, Dave, I think that was excellent. I mean, that's, I mean, and I know, you know, some of those guys personally, uh, but that is, it's, it's a very, it sounds bad, but it's a very narrow family tree. There are not a lot of branches uh, coming off that tree.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for being a guy who has only been to Michigan as a a stopover, like I I flew to Detroit when I came home to Orlando one time, never really spent time in Michigan. Uh, I've, same thing with uh, Wisconsin. I've only been. I went to the Oshkosh Air Show when I was a kid. But as somebody who has never really spent a lot of time there, I knew the name of Ziegler when you when when um, I saw it on your website, I was like, oh yeah, he's the guy. And then I knew the Bay City, and and I remember. You know, it's been a while since I've done the research, but yeah, I mean, it's just cool how an offense with a few guys, like you said, has stood the test of time. And that some kid from Florida and California knew. And I think, especially in high school, I mean, it's one thing in college, but, you know, these high schools and then it's funny. Some of these offenses, some of these stories, they take on kind of mythic um, proportions. Like they're just, you know, they, they, the story grows. It's like, it's like De La Salle high school, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. they're the, probably the most successful high school program in the country maybe the history now they're newer than a lot of countries, but I mean, in terms of national champions and all that stuff and you go to their weight room. Now they have a new weight room, but you would go, you would assume it was going to be this magical mystical place. And you go in their weight room and you're like, what is this? Are you shitting me? You know? And it's so funny. Cause I, you hear about guys like Irv and you hear about some of these other coaches that run these, these offenses that have taken on these, these, these giant, It's in the game. And then you see the school they're at and they're like, really? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, and it's so neat because at the end of the day, we're all in this, we're all trying to do the same thing. And we have kids with the same going through the same stuff, good and bad. And I just love having these conversations because you guys have found a solution to winning and, you know, you, you found, you found something that you you love and that you, you believe in. And it's worked for you. And I just think that's so awesome and that you've stuck with. I don't know a lot of coaches who, you know, I have convictions, but I I tell you what, if something I was doing was going wrong, I'm, I'm much more likely to change it than tweak it, if that makes sense. And I, and I I think it was Dave touched on it. Like, you know, when, when things go bad, you know, or maybe it was you guys, I apologize, but it, it was like, if things go bad. You know, do you have the patience to stay with it? And and Dave, you have a slide in on one of your clinics where it's okay. So you want to put in another play? Like here's the questions we have to ask. You know, is this something we're not doing right? And I just think that so many coaches they try to band aid things by putting in a new play. And I know I'm one of the most guilty of it out there. But I love that you guys are in a system that it almost it has guardrails in place. I mean, you can be creative, but you keep guard guard guardrails in place to keep you focused on the technique and the attitude and the message that you guys are trying to send.
0: Thanks coach. It's, it's great to hear that. Those principles really, they, they hold strong with, with guys like us. And uh, it's, it, at times it's tough to, to stay true to, to who you are. And uh, when it's, when it's good, it can be real good. And when it's bad, it's, it's, sometimes you second you second guess yourself, but usually a night of sleep takes care of that and you're right back to your old ways. So appreciate right. hearing
2: that. No, it's great. It's great stuff. I mean I just really enjoy the the freshness. It's so funny. It's like a breath of fresh air, even though it's an offense that's been around since nineteen oh six. Don't know if that makes sense or not, but <laughs> I think I think you know what I'm trying to say. Now, before we get into the guts of the offense, uh Dave you had a slide in one of your presentations that you talked about your philosophy or like the main points of the offense. Could you take us through those real quick? Just kind of like the main tenets of the philosophy behind it. I know you've mentioned, we're not going to punt. We're not going to kick field goals. We're going to basically go for it on fourth down unless it's extreme. Like and maybe you still, you know, maybe you still aren't going to punt. I don't know, but um, you know, there's some of those things, but could you just go over the basic philosophical tenets? for us. And then Gus, if you want to add something,
0: you know, for us and where we play, um, in the city of Milwaukee, we face teams that are, you know, highly athletic. Um, it's just really good athletes, bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, we found ourselves at a, at a academic highly academic school that we lacked a lot of things. So, instead of trying to be bigger, faster, stronger, you know, we wanted to be uh, more detail-orientated, um, more disciplined, and, you know, use our communication skills. So we thought, like, a, a military-type offense, a systematic-type offense, what, what would be good for us. And that those are the principles you find in the Power T. I mean, the, the whole, uh, you know, we say we are ours in just about everything we do, because it, it, the selflessness of our offense is is at the core of it. Um, so, you know, in order to in order to run the ball, you got to be a, a blocker and a faker. And to us, that's more important than than even running the ball. And that those principles, um, you know, they guide what we do. Um, we want to have the ball as long as possible. And we want to really grind out as much clock. We want to win the time of possession. Uh, we want our offense to have the ball as long as we can and keep their offense off the field. Um, the D coordinator loves that and is all for it. Um, you know, And so if we limit possessions, we keep the ball, and we learn that our, our, our mistakes are, are still probably going to get us three yards I mean that's our goal is is to just keep methodically moving the ball down the field uh through a lot of deception and um we stick with that idea and it most of the time it wins us some games um you know I'm trying to think of the slideshow and it sounds a lot better when I got it sitting in front of me but Gus, if you want to add, I'm <laughs> sorry to put I, you on I the could, spot. I could join in, but no, it's all right. I'm just, uh, it's fine. I, I, am I'm, I'm sure you can add to that, Gus, if you wouldn't mind.
1: It, you know, to me, it's, it's very, very simple. That you know, you're, you're dealing with, with young men that can, if you give them enough opportunities and enough practice at doing one specific thing, they can get really, really good at it and they can develop confidence in in that and and their teammates can, can develop confidence in them. Uh, and you can have success. Um, you know, we talk about it being, being the Kentucky fried chicken model of a football coaching that we're not, we're not making pizza and we're not selling hamburgers and we're not doing French fries. We're just making chicken. And the chicken we make is going to be pretty good because that's all we do. Um, You know, it's now, like I said, I I think you have to be patient and I think you have to have thick skin because there will be times that that the the team you're playing is a little bit better and and they're well coached or breaks don't go your way. Um, but you know, for us, it's, it's just developing that confidence that we're not going to ask a kid to do something that, that they're not capable of doing. Uh, and that they're going to get ample practice time to really develop mastery of that skill, and we're going to go out and we're going to execute. I mean, it's it's similar, and, and it sounds crazy, but it's like when you look at an offense like the air rate and then you look at a triple option offense, and you say, well, those two offenses aren't related until you really break down how they're coached and, and and what the philosophy is behind it. They're both system offenses, and that's ultimately what what we're running. So I I do think there's a lot of similarities there where you know, you're really going to break those skills down and, and you're really going to to specify the types of skills that your players are going to need to be successful. And then you just you just drill the crap out of it. And, you know, to piggyback on, on one of the things that Dave said about time of possession, we, like, we, we don't make that big a deal out of time of possession. It's simply most games works out that way. Um, but with the advent now of the 40-second play clock in high school football, And the fact that we're running the ball 90% of the time, and a lot of those runs are inside the hashes means that, that we can take entire quarters off the clock. Um, And then if we score points on that drive and you're an up-tempo, no huddle spread team, you're, you're not living in our world. You know what I'm saying? We're not living in your world. You're living in our world. So, uh, with the way the game just in the in the last two years I, I've noticed it with the forty second play clock, for us, that's one I think it's like one point four seven possessions less per game for both teams because of that. so yeah, in a nutshell i I, I think you know from a philosophy standpoint, I think it, it it really is makes your makes your team a team oriented you know philosophy and and you know you're going to be physical. And you know you're you're gonna be committed to what you do because because this is the other thing, there's no parachute you know there there is no backup plan it's like this is this is what we do, and we gotta ride or die with this
2: That makes perfect sense i mean you what's interesting is is I think a lot of guys that are run first coaches get this moniker of being conservative, but you know when you tell me you don't punt you don't kick field goals. And I'm guessing if you're wanting to play a spread team and you want to take a quarter off the clock, you're going to want the ball first, right? You want like generally speaking, right? Or is that not true?
1: I, I'm, I'm an, I'm an old DC. So I'm a little like, like, like I, we do not go forward on fourth down as much as some teams that that, that we see. And, and we do punt the ball. Uh, we we go for two, but we do, we do typically carry a kicker and a field goal team if, if we get in those situations. So I'm a little bit more traditional, like, like we still as, as much as I, I think I'm known as a power T guy, our program is still, is still built defense first for us We're a defense special teams first. And then, and then the offense comes, whereas I think some other power T guys, it's, they're a little more satisfied, like, "Hey, if, if we win forty-two thirty-eight, that's okay." Like for me, if we win forty-two thirty-eight, I'm I'm not feeling too good about that. <laughs> so I think I, I may be I may I may be a little bit different um, in 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 that aspect. But but you know, we're going to play a little more. I guess what you would say, traditional football field position, things, kicking game, things like that.
2: How about you, Dave? Where do you lie on that spectrum? Are you wanting the ball or are you wanting to take that first quarter and take the wind out of their sails?
0: Well, you know, my, my decision making is a little bit different because I'm just the OC. So when, when we started the program and, and I got the reins to run the offense, you know, there was some second guessing by my head coach, Greg Roman. And, you know, there was some chirping and are we doing this? Is this the right thing? And I, I, you know, he put some ideas in my head of another formation, a uh, motion, and I I stuck to my guns. It was hard because um, I was seeing the same things he was, and it, it just took a while to get, you know, the kids coached up enough to get myself coached up enough. But we're to the point now where, you know, we we want the ball to start the game. Um, you know, we figure let's put it in our offensive hands, um, and, and we really – you know, we try to win that, uh, that, that time of possession because, you know, it, it, it leads to ultimately, you know, we have more success the more we have the ball, but we don't have any, you no, know, no successful T coach is, is doing it all on their own. I mean, they're, you're surrounded by good D coordinators. I mean, that really helps. I like, you know, what, what Gus is saying is absolutely true. You know, whether you, you're putting the focus on defense or special teams or not, you got to have a defensive guy uh, on staff. um, You know, that that's going to help you out. And like we face in the city, these athletic teams. So we don't, we don't kick the ball deep on kickoffs because we're not very good tackling in space. And we're, we're playing guys that are going to outrun us. And, you know, every now and then we'll kick the ball deep and it'll, you know, the other team will take it to the house. So we, we, we do a lot of squib kicking, bouncing the ball around onside kicks. You know, we, we punt out of the T formation. We don't line up in a punt formation. Uh, You know, we try to be deceptive and sneak the ball out and pooch kick it and rugby style kick it. So they don't have a returner, you know? Um, So yeah, we, we make some decisions now really based on, you know, uh, how can we keep the ball, how, how can we limit possessions? And, you know, do we go for two every time? Absolutely. Uh, it probably helps that we don't have a goalpost on our practice field. So we don't have anywhere to practice <laughs> field with extra points. Um, So it, it's just like, well, well, why do it? You know, if we're, we're 50% of two point conversions, then uh, you know, we're, we're winning the battle and we're, we're not leaving points on the field. We'll actually score more points if we're, more than 50%. And yeah, well, what happens when you need a field goal to win the game? I, I I don't know. I I can't count on one hand, two fingers. The time we've been in, I've been in a game of all my coaching where I've needed to make a last second field goal to win the game. So, and that's, you know, a lot of that's high school football. And I guess maybe I haven't coached in enough places that are competitive, but um, you know, I just, I haven't been in that situation where I went, gee, we really wish we had a field goal kicker that could put it in for 25 yards. So um, it hasn't bit me yet.
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to have to change the ending question for the show. for those of you who have never heard it before, I basically give a scenario for it's national or state championship, depending on what level of coach I have on state championship, fourth and nine, 35 yard line. You got to pick up a first. I might have to change the question for you guys, because I don't know how much you're in fourth and nine. It might be fourth and one for the for all the marbles. What do you got? Fourth and two. What do you got? <laughs> I may have to change that up. You guys might uh you might start a first show tradition. But uh all right, so got a good picture of the philosophy of the offense. Uh Gus, talk to me about the starting point of the offense. How are we lining up? What are your O-line alignments and splits? What are your running back depths and widths? How are you doing your cadence? How 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 is the Basically, how does the offense running and uh, being put together to start?
1: Yeah, and we're like I, you know, everybody's got their own flavor on it, so we're we're a little bit different. Uh, we're we're a, and this is like I said, we're I'm I'm kind of researching some uh, Texas Slot T guys because they they do some stuff coming out of the huddle. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen some of the Texas Slot T stuff. Like they huddle like two yards off the ball they sprint up there and they're snapping the ball in less than two seconds and oh yeah you know it fits with, it fits with some of the stuff that we do and we we have that capability with our cadence um, we will go four different cadences uh, that, that we can carry into a game and, and we're huddled tight to the line of scrimmage but but nothing nothing like that so that that kind of is intriguing to me and we're looking at it but basically for us, um, our center is, I think a key thing for, for our center is we want to, we want to make the neutral zone as big as possible. So one of the things we always stress with our centers, we want that ball pushed out as far as he can get it out in front of them, uh, to, to make that neutral zone as big as possible because our guards are going to be off the ball. And, and the way that, that I coach it is, I always want my center to have a D issues. So the guards have a landmark as to where they put their downhand. So we want to start with the downhand on the last stripe in the Adidas shoe, the, the, the stripe closest to the heel. That's going to put their vertical alignment with their helmet, just barely nicking the, the belt line of the center, which is, which is right there at the, on the edge of the rule. Uh, and what I tell the kids is if you get a warning from the umpire saying, hey, you guys are too far off the ball, you move up to the middle stripe of the shoe. That, that's as far up as, as we'll go. Um, so our guards are going to, are going to set vertical depth uh, off the line of scrimmage uh, helmet on the belt line of the center. Uh, and we tell them from a, a split standpoint, horizontal split, uh, they're going to split for comfort. So 12 to 18 inches. Uh, and, and really it's comfort for them. And it's comfort for the quarterback. Um, and this is an issue I've see, I've seen some T teams have Uh, problems with this. And I've seen some double wing teams, especially really struggle with this um, where the guard is super tight, like foot to foot and the quarterback's reversing out and and they get either hung up on each other or the guard knocks the ball out. Um, So we want our guards a little, a little ways away from the quarterback. Um, And they've, they have leeway is to you know, how much space, like if we're running inside trap, we obviously want to widen that stretch that split out to 18 inches, 20 inches, whatever. And then if, you know, we have an a gap threat and we're running, you know, say off tackle to, to, to that side of a power scheme, we want to tighten that split down. So, you know, essentially as far off the balls we can get with a guard and then split for comfort. The tackle splits uh, are zero. We are foot to foot with a guard Uh, that will never change. Uh, that primarily has to do with, with how we teach our combination blocks uh, up front. It keeps the footwork consistent for our guys. Uh, so that, that, for our tackles, it's really simple. You just have to figure out where the guard's at and, and line up on his feet. The tight ends have the most leeway uh, because that split can go from zero and it can go all the way out to 20-plus to inches. Uh, depending on what, what they're getting in the C-gap, is a tackle covered or uncovered? Do they have a guy on them or a guy on their outside shoulder. Um, so the tight ends got quite a bit of leeway with, with his split, particularly if he's on the backside, you know, we tell him, uh, you know, some of, some of his rules on some of his plays are essentially be creative with your split and be creative with your technique on the backside. Um, so, you know, they, they have some leeway. Um, our backfield were, were a little bit different that we are, we are deeper than most T tea teams. Um, our fullback is, uh, his heels are five yards off the ball. Most, most power T tea teams are, are going to be heels at four and a half, or I've seen some teams that, that are even tighter. Um, the reason for that, and this, this is a little bit, I think people also in the power T you hear, you hear the word fullback. And I think everybody envisions like a big rugged, you know, six foot one, two hundred pound kid. That's a hammer. Um, in this offense, that, that, that kid's probably going to play right halfback for us. Um, the kid that we have as our fullback is a tailback. Uh, it's, you know, for us, it's, it's typically a track kid. Uh, it's a kid that, that's a 100, 200-meter kid on the track team, uh, a basketball kid, a multiple-sport kid, uh, a home run hitter for us. Um, so we want him a little bit deeper. Uh, he's typically quick enough that it's not a big deal for him to to get to the line of scrimmage in, in a hurry, uh, and it's going to give him a, a little bit better vision coming from depth. Uh, so we're going to be five yards off the ball with, with his heels, uh, and we are old school. He he holds his arms up uh, at his sides, and the halfbacks do the same, and they touch fingertips. Um, and that's T-formation. And, um, you know, we can, we can do wing stuff and tight slot stuff, and we have done that in the past. Uh, I think something that, that we do more of now than, than we, we have done previously is use a lot of halfback motion to get us into a wing or a tight slot set um, just, to, just to do it so the defense doesn't have as much time to, to react to it because it's, you know, it's pretty obvious that you don't run a lot of formations and then all of a sudden you put a wing out there I mean, all week that defensive coach is like, hey, they line up in a wing, it's, 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 it's boot, it's power sweep, it's trap, it's this, um, so it's easier for us just to motion a guy into that spot than, than line them up there. Um, from a cadence standpoint, and, and I think, Chris, you, you'll be familiar with this, uh, we are, and you mentioned De LaSalle, uh, we use, and Tim Murphy, we use, we use that uh, methodology. Uh, in the same blocking progression, the the same sled progression that those guys use in the offensive line. Uh, and we went to that, I think about four years ago, and it's made an incredible difference in, in our, in our program, in our offensive line play. Uh, and I just, I was reading, uh, chasing perfection, uh, the, the book that Bob Lattice wrote, uh, and there's an entire chapter in that book that's simply about their, their stance their their cadence, their get off and and how they execute a shoulder block and I mean I'm not a smart guy but I'm like if they won 140 some consecutive games and this guy thinks this is one of the most important things they do in their program maybe we should try to do this and it might work for us.
2: Yeah, they uh <laughs> when they they run sled so I was on their huddle account for a very long time and they they're playing a state championship game on Let's we'll say a Saturday, uh their Wednesday or Thursday practice, they're still hitting the sleds. And the coaches, I remember I made our kids on the defensive side of the ball watch them hit sleds during a meeting because I wanted to preach physicality. And I know it's not always the best technique for defense because you you know, there's the target doesn't move, yada yada yada. But I think for high school kids, and I know there's this kind of thing right now online about sleds aren't cool. Sorry. I know it's bullshit. Uh, I watched the best high school team of all time hit sleds a couple of days before their state championship game. Coaches are still making comments on the film and sharing, sharing it with them. And that sled, those sleds are a lot about with that program. Now, if you're not a shoulder blocking team, if you're going to run inside zone, then, uh, you know, and I've talked to those guys about you know switching to other types of offenses how it would be done I mean you have to change your technique you're not going to be shoulder blocking but if you're going to shoulder block there's nothing better that I've seen and maybe I'm ignorant but I mean it's it's awesome very very good stuff and and you can attest to that I guess from what you're saying
1: it it, yeah it, it just one of those things where you know you're you're in a rut and you're like we're we're good, but we're not as good as as you want to be, and and you're looking, and it's like we need to find an edge. Uh, so you, you know you, you start doing research, and and you kind of fall into this thing, and and you know I I you know bought some of Murphy's stuff, and and I know that he got a, a lot of it from from the deal of sal guys, and and found you know some of the video that's online of them hitting the sled, and and it's different and it's weird, um you know when you look at some of the technique and. Like gosh, you know, super big second step, and they really got this club thing going on. Um, but man, for us, it just it it just it just it melded with with what we do. And as far as far as I know, um, we're we're the only power T tea team that that I know that does it that way. And it's just been it's been great for us. Like the last four years, we've I think I think those four years have been the four high scoring years in, in the history of us running the offense. So.
2: That's wild. Um,
1: Yeah. Can't, yeah. Can't, can't say enough good things about that.
2: Well, you know, I'm a, I mean, De La Salle is very close to my heart. I've got a, I have a hutch that was my mom's that sits right next to my desk and I'm staring at it right now. I got a Bob Lattice or bobblehead from when they had Bob Lattice or bobblehead night. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I talked to Justin, their, their head coach a lot and I, I just loved those guys. And our head coach at Sarah went there, was like, in the Hall of Fame was Mr. California, you know, player of the year when he was at Dale South. He was actually on the team that uh, that was the last team to lose before the streak. So his junior year, they lost to Pittsburgh. You know, they have not lost to a team in Northern California since 1991. <laughs> wow. 1991. Wow. Now they've lost a team from SoCal and the Valley and Texas and they've traveled, but they have not lost a team. We almost beat in my first year at Sarah and it was like, even though we lost, I was like, Yeah, we were shutting them out at halftime. Like it was like it's like my badge of honor. No, but they're they're phenomenal. And that technique, I mean, it's really hard, especially when they're playing at home and they get the rolling thunder going. I'm sure you've seen the tape. When they're not exactly, how do I say this? Getting set for a full second. That's the nicest way to say it. And they can just drop down and then roll off on your ass. I remember one of our coaches were screaming, Hey, they're not getting set. And Patrick just looked over and was like, guys, they've been doing this for 40 years and it's never been called like, relax. (laughs) It's, you're not going to, you're not going to point it out to the officials and they're going to start throwing it. And I mean, I guess that's, if, if if you can't have a little home field advantage, what's the point of having home field, right? Anyway. Yeah. So Dave, anything that you do differently from what Gus said?
0: Well, we, I'd say we're much simpler. Um, I mean, yeah, you know we all have our little twists on things, and part of that is what you have time to teach your personnel, but i mean we're we're foot to foot splits um, only because we've we've tried to teach smart splits, and as smart as our kids are reagan they're they're not necessarily always football smart um so it was it was like more of a a chore to teach them how and why and and part of that is. You know, kids not having a youth football program to be a part of. I mean, once they're freshmen, we're teaching them everything. So, you know, we're hoping as things progress and as time moves on, we can, you know, start to add and make make those little things, uh, you know, part of just our culture. Uh, You know, we're four and a half in the backfield. We line up with the the arms spread apart and um, we're as deep as we can be off the ball and teams, you know, officials tell us to move up we move up the smallest bit that we can. So all that stuff is pretty universal. I I really would like to be able to get my guards out a little wider. Um, And I, am one of those teams. When we first started playing, we had a like a six, six quarterback uh, by default because we had some injuries and my guard was stepping all over his feet. And of course he had such a wide base, um, you know, and then the, the next year we had a smaller guy and, uh, quicker feet and he got out of there and we never had a problem with the guards. So, I mean, part of that is personnel too, but in as far as the simplicity, I mean, I, we try to be a youth offense, right? I mean, we don't have a youth offense, but we're running it like a youth offense in some ways because we want it to be that simple. We want our kids to think less. Um, you know, we have about eight different cadence uh, snap counts, and it's, we try to be rhythmic. And we, our quarterback can mull them to sleep. We can, if it's a blitzing team or a stemming team, we uh, we, we try to be, you know, different and, and change it up as often as we can. But um, you know, we like that the cadence is just having multiple cadences, is like having multiple formations. You know, it, it gives you an advantage when you do get someone to jump off So, uh, yeah, all those little things are that, like, they're so important to what you do in the offense. And once you do it, you know, the first time you do it and the kids got it, you're done teaching it. You, then you can, you can focus on so many other things. So yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much in line in what most power team teams are doing.
2: This week's Coach Vast CoachTube Corner features Grayson High School Offensive Line Coach Jake Timmerman. Jake's first CoachTube course is on pass protection fundamentals and drills for the offensive line. Jake brings his expertise and deep knowledge of O-line play to the CoachTube platform, giving you an in-depth look at how he teaches and the drills he uses for the 7A Georgia State Champs and also the number 5 team in the nation. The course will guide coaches through a ground up approach of teaching the fundamentals and basic drills of pass protection for the O-line. Jake goes through the stand step, teaching the drive, catch method, fundamentals of pass pro, common mistakes and how to correct them, and basic drills to help prove your protection. I personally have watched the course and feel that it is a great teaching tool, especially for high school coaches who want to take their game to the next level. If you're interested in the course... You can go in the show notes, there will be a link to it, or you can go to linktree.com slash coach Scroll down and click the coach tube offensive course of the week. Again, that's linktree.com slash coachvas. Scroll down, hit the coach tube offensive course of the week. So, next question, Dave, I want to talk to you about balance. So, and this is kind of a complex question scenario type of a thing, but what for you is the theory of the offense relative to directional balance and what i mean by that is i know it's the power t but i think that some people build offenses like this with deception and balance in mind first like okay we need to be balanced because we need to attack every gap and we need to be able to keep the defense off balance and that's kind of their guiding light or you have the guys that are going to say hey We're putting our best guys over here. We're putting our best runner here, our best offensive lineman on this side, and we're running over here. F you. Here we come. Stop this play. And we're not going to stop running this until you stop it. Obviously, all things being equal, you want to have both. You want to be able to use deception and balance. But then when you need to, you need to be able to run over somebody. But from your starting point, are are you thinking, hey, listen, we're going to run power or we're going to run whatever off tackle variation and we're going to run dive when we're going to run it to the right. And they know we're going to run it to the right. So they're going to have to shift over and that's going to open the stuff up. Or are you looking to balance yourself out a little bit more with not maybe having your best players on one side or the other? Like how how does that, where does that start?
0: Yeah. I, I, I look at the power T and it took me a while to figure this out, but there's, there's, obviously the balance in the formation, right? The same number of players left and to the right. Um, there's balance within, you know, your, your running backs. You, you have to be able to block as well as carry the ball. Um, so there's balance within that position. Um, I, what I found with the power T is is that I like it because it, it it's like, you get the benefits of, of an, of an option offense without tossing the ball through the air and having your kids, you know, make on the spot decisions, right? So you, you can, you can attack, you know, the a gap, you can go off tackle, you can attack the edge. And for us, we, we start with that power play um, because it's right in the middle. It's sandwiched in there, right? It's our, it's the off tackle play. We, we like it, the bread, the bread and butter, Um, and if you run in that play and, you know, the defense tries to stop that one play, it opens something else up and it can open it up in the form of the trap or it can open it up in the form of the key play. So that for us is is the, you know, is kind of the balance point. It took me a while to figure that out. When I first run power T, I was heavy with trap. I put my best athlete at fullback and we were kind of one dimensional and we're just going to hold run a whole lot of trap. Um, but, but then, you know, we learned how to block power, how to block it in a couple of different ways and, and how to really make that player best play. And that's, that's opened some things up. Um, you know, as far as we don't flip flop line, you know, linemen, uh, it, we typically, I, I think our best running back usually ends up being the right half back, um, but it's such a struggle because, you know, it's like, well, who's your best runner? Well, he, he, he typically ends up being your best blocker too. You know, I mean, it, the guys aren't just asked to do one thing. They're asked to do many things. And when you find that guy that can do it all, I mean, he can play any position and you want him to play almost every position. So sometimes it's tough to, to find a home for that kid. Um, you know, Gus mentioned it earlier, you know, the, the, the fullback position is not necessarily your typical fullback. And, and one of the things we've, we've done with the fullback positions, the last couple of years, we've had a kid that just carries out fakes. He's a kid that's got some wiggle. Uh, he gets lost. He hits the hole fast, but what he does most importantly is carries out fakes. So, you know, linebackers are used to him just running by him and, uh, man, that that's added another component to our offense. When you have a kid at fullback that just can run and fake and run and fake. And, um, you know, if, if he is a track athlete, if he is a multi-sport player and he is a a heck of an athlete, then, then that's great too. But, you know, we don't always have a, a whole, a selection of kids like that. I mean, we've got kids that are really working their butt off, uh, to play the positions we're asking them to. So, You know, we like the fact that we can be right-handed or left-handed, you know, that it has that triple option, attack different areas of the field, Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, or it's fourth down and who we're going to give the ball to. I've got an answer in my head usually, but if I call a timeout and I ask the kids, what's our best play, I pretty much get a consensus in the huddle, and whatever those kids come up with, that's what we're running. Um, A lot of times it's balanced within uh, the coaching staff and the player relationship. I I tend to listen to my kids a lot. Uh, We don't necessarily get good looks from the press box. It's really hard to see what's going on on the sideline. We don't have many coaches and oftentimes our kids are, they're communicating things to us and timeouts and we got two way players and they're talking to us as fast as we can during special teams or some transition. And, um, you know, they tell us what's working, what isn't working. You know, my quarterback will come over to the sideline and be like, Hey, our guards are saying we need to run trap this way, or we need to make this adjustment on the power. And it's like, all right. You know, I tell my quarterback, go back there and do it. Then, you know, you tell me what's best because the kids know what's best. So there's, there's balance in that too. Um, you know, one thing that Gus always said that I'm not going to steal his thunder, but, when we talked about quarterback play and and the balance you have to have with the quarterback stretching the field, uh, vertically and horizontally, I'll I'll let him talk about that, but that really opened my eyes to a lot of things and and, and Gus has taught me a lot over the years. Um, but, but that's one of the things that I think really amplifies what we do balance wise is is, as power T coaches as well. So I'll, I'll let you lead into that Gus, hopefully.
2: Yeah. Gus, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So I think
1: one of the things that, that and there's still a few teams that, that run the power team, Michigan, um, and I end up seeing film. And, and one of the first things that stands out is if you have a kid at quarterback that's the proverbial, oh, he's the principal's son. He's a great kid. And boy, he carries out his fakes really well. Um, this offense is going to be a train wreck in a hurry. Your, your life now is going to be in a 10 by 10 box where they have one more guy than you have, because your quarterback can't, can't get out on the edge and he can't throw the football. Um, the, for me, the quarterback doesn't have to be the best athlete on your team, but he's got to be top three. Uh, and we, you know, we even go, go to the point where we, we time our kids and I just tell them straight up, if you're not a sub four, seven, you can't play quarterback. Um, because the key play has to stretch the defense horizontally and you have to be able to throw the football vertically, uh, or else you're literally, you're literally a two play offense. You're running tra- some variation of trap and some variation of off tackle, uh, with a kid that's, that's just a handoff robot. Um, so, and that's, once again, I mean, you, you learning that the hard way, you know, going, going to war with that really nice kid, you know, that, that shows up to the weight room all the time, goes to all the camps. But at the end of the day, you know that, that's going to work for about two series before the defense realizes that, that this team can't get outside and they can't throw the ball, so we're we're just going to have to defend two plays. So, um, you know, the 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 statue quarterback too. I mean, the big the big six foot six kid um, that that probably has a cannon for an arm. Uh, not not sure where he's got a spot in this offense. Now, I mean, if you have that kid, maybe maybe you can you can tweak uh, the the T offense. And, and John Shilodeau, uh this past year, had a kid that um, you know six foot four, athletic quarterback, uh, scholarship player at Fair State University, which is a, a D two school here in Michigan. It's a very good uh, D two program. Uh, John was in a gun. Uh, this year doing T things out of the gun, which I I thought was a really good solution to, to that problem. But, um, I think for me, when I, when I see schools that that install this offense for the first time, uh, I think they get their personnel placement wrong a lot. You know, they, they end up with a, a big rugged kid, at fullback that's not a a game breaker, you know, because your, your fullback trap game is what four verticals are to an air raid, um, you know, that's, that's your, you know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to run fullback trap 25 times in a game. You're going to run it 11 times, seven of the 11 is probably going to get stuck at the line of scrimmage, but the other four had the potential to go 75 plus yards untouched. Um, You know, so I, I think, you know, the fullback and the quarterback positions are, are positions where if you're thinking traditional, Um, you're probably not fitting the the right pieces in the right spots.
2: That makes sense. Now, what are what's your feeling on building the offense in terms of having a strong side and a weak side? Like, do you, you And we played a team in the Bay area. They were a double wing team and they would flip their line. And then sometimes they Mm -hmm. wouldn't. And when they didn't flip their line, their best down blockers were on the right. Their best pullers were on the left. Their best back was the left side wing. And then their, ho- their home run hitter, for lack of a better term, their right wing would be the guy that would run the counters and the sweeps and things back the other way. And you knew, and it was basically we we're running the ball over here. Stop us. If you can't stop us and you have to start ganging people up, then we're going to go over there. And you knew you knew what it was going to be. Or are you looking at yeah. more you know, hey, I'm going to put, I want to spread out my linemen, my, where my best linemen are, because I want to be able to run to both sides. You know, what, what's the philosophy there for
1: you? Um, so, yeah, for us, we're a little bit different in in the sense that we're a little bit bigger school, so we, we have more kids. Uh, and we're, we're not quite total two platoon, but but we try to limit the number of two-way guys that we have. Uh, and we, we, like I said, we are a defense-first uh, philosophy program, So if you're really, really good, like, like you're probably playing defense. You're probably, you know, a a D lineman or or an inside linebacker. So the guys that I get and I coach the offensive line, uh, they are guys that that pretty much know this is the last stop before you stand on the sidelines on Friday (laughs) night. So like, like you, you got to make it, you got to make it here. You're not going to make it. Uh, and what we try to do is we literally try to, to pigeonhole those guys. Like you're not a guard, you're a right guard. And you're only ever going to do right guard things. Like you're only ever going to be stepping essentially with your left foot. Um, that, that type of deal. And, and ultimately we try to do that with them young. So I've got, I've got a couple guys, like we have lineman workouts tomorrow. Uh, it's six 30 in the morning or we'll go in and we'll, we'll do lineman stuff, steps and bags and and things like that. Um, I've got like four or five kids that I'll work with tomorrow that have only ever been like a right guard, right tackle, left guard, left tackle since like the seventh grade. Um, And the idea is you're just, you're not a great athlete, but man, if you do this like a thousand times over the course of four or five years, you're going to get pretty good at it. So you know we so we have we have a, a a returning all state offensive lineman, left tackle force, really good kid as a junior, and we graduated our right tackle. Well, by, I, I think traditionally most teams are, are right handed, so the the discussion was we're going to move this kid to the right side, and I'm like, why would we do that? Like this kid has been a left tackle since he was a sophomore. He started twenty some consecutive games. Like he's done literally thousands of reps at doing left tackle things. If we move him to the right, he's never going to get the same number of reps that he got on the left. So yeah, I'd like to move him to the right, and on paper it probably would would make sense. But let's just let's just leave him on the left. So what we usually end up with um, are a lot of specialists up front, uh, and however they, the the cards fall just as the season goes on, you get a better feel for what they can and can't do. Uh, and then you start kind of developing tendencies about the only hard and fast rule that I have with, with right and left. Um, I like my right half back to be more of an H back guy, uh, a bigger rugged, a guy that that's going to be able to, to J block a, a six foot two, 225 pound, uh, you know, six technique. Uh, and then the left half back is probably going to be more of a runner, more of a pass catcher, um, you know, more of a counter runner type guy. Um, but yeah, I just, I think personnel placement, um, is critical obviously in an offense where, I mean, you're really limiting yourself from a formation standpoint. So you got to make sure you get the right pieces in the right spot.
2: Yeah. That's fascinating. Now, who makes those decisions on where those kids play at a young age like that? Is are you involved or, you leave that up to the coaches who are on the lower levels?
1: Uh, Yeah, but there, I mean, I'm, I'm a control freak. um, So I have a lot of oversight. And like I said, like, and this is, the, you know, the other thing too, with the offense, I mean, it is an offensive line centric offense. Um, It's really easy to, to play running back in, in, in this offense because you're essentially running the same path every time. It's just a matter of one of you is getting the, getting the ball, two of you are not the one with the ball scores the other two pretend to score right um offensive line is I think really really difficult um and if and if you don't have the best coach on your staff coaching the offensive line I think that's that's where it falls apart for a lot of people with them when they're trying to install this offense for the first time so um yeah like I look at kids and it's like I mean the kids get it too, right? I mean they they can look in the weight room and they're like, "Gosh, I'm not as strong as that kid. I'm not as fast as that kid. I didn't play as much as this other kid. Like I'm probably going to end up as a right tackle on the varsity, you know, at, at some point." So um, they kind of get it, and, and you know they obviously they're motivated because they know that this is the last stop before you you know you sit on the sidelines. So, um, but I just you know for us it's it's been it's been kind of a recipe for success for us where, where we try to develop those guys. And, and, you know, I, to me in high school football, every team's going to have studs, right? Like every team's got some dudes. The question is the guys like, like, like players like four through 11 or, or four through 28 or however many kids you have in your team. What are those guys like? Like every team right. got three or four kids that are pretty good. What are, what are you doing to develop those other kids? And for us, that's kind of been the recipe of our success, right? Like we have good players. Like I'm not going to sit here and say, well, we don't have anybody and our kids are all three feet tall and, you know, they all have club feet and can barely stand. And amazingly, you know, we went 10 games a year. Like, I'm not going to BS people about that. Right. Like we got hard, we got hard nosed, hard work and blue collar kids that, that, that play football really well. Now, we also play teams that have really good players like, like big 10 power five caliber guys. Um, So our winning edge is we've got to take our non stud guys and we've got to get them to the highest level we can. And to me, the best way that you do that is you give them one job and you let them get really, really good at that job uh, and let them go out and perform.
2: Do you ever feel anxiety about misdiagnosing a kid at a young age or, do you ever I'm mean, do you ever pull the plug and do you you know, a kid it's a growth spurt, or let's say, you know, he's the the left tackle and you know, in seventh grade and all of a sudden in eighth grade he he hits a, a, a growth spurt and he becomes, you know, he gets some you know hair on his chin and he starts to talk yep. real deep and just now I'm just a gold nutted stud. Are you gonna move is it at what point are you like, hey, it's okay, let's move the kid now? Like And I and I know you got to well, go case by case. I mean, there's, you know, yeah. if, if you get some freak transfer, some kid from out of town or well, I guess that wouldn't really apply. But if some kid goes from being like all of a sudden he grows like seven inches over one summer and he's just all of a sudden like hulking out of his shirt. I'm sure at some point there's been cases where you're like, all right, we're going to go against this. Like this kid is turned into a freak of nature let's move them. We don't have anybody over on the right or whatever. Let's move them over there. I mean, I'm sure you get yeah. those one-offs, but what's yeah. kind of your I mean, general rule. Like rough. once they hit high school, we're not, we're not going to move them as much or.
1: Uh, like, like in, in middle school, probably not as much control just, just because, I mean, there's so much variance by the, you know, by the time, you know, from where they're at in the seventh or eighth grade, even to when they get to the 10th grade, there's, there's a tremendous amount of, of growth that's going to happen there. Um, you know we've had we, we had a kid as a matter of fact uh, uh, he just played in his first uh, college game uh, and caught a pass as a tight end which I think matches the exact number of passes he caught in two years as a tight end for us in high school uh, but he was he was a kid he was a kid as a freshman that was like five nine and 125 pounds and was like a backup safety and, and not a very good running back. And then by the time he was a junior, he was six four and about one hundred and ninety five pounds, uh, and was really angry that he had not been a starter for the first two years of high school. Oh boy! Um, and we're like, we're like, hey, let's put him at tight end, and he was he was outstanding for us. Um, so yeah, we have that now. Typically, it goes the other way, where a kid kind of comes in as a corner. And gets bigger and slower as the years go on. And, and we literally might lead the state of Michigan in former corners that have started a guard. for us.
2: <laughs> That's,
1: that's an interesting we, stat. We literally almost, almost every year I have a kid that, that started his career as a freshman as a boundary corner that ended up as, as a guard for us. And I'm going to have at least one, maybe two. Uh, this upcoming season. That's wild, man.
0: Yeah. Like we, we, we have to be more interchangeable. I, I really wish we could do the things the, the Gus does with youth football. And um, so our kids learn, um, they kind of learn multiple positions up front and their ability to do that really, it really allows them to learn, you know, the, like, the specifics of the old line, they know what their, the the partner next to them is doing. Um, You know, when you play, when you play tackle and then you get a chance to play guard, you just have another perspective. And with, you know, with not many players and guys going two ways and, you know, we got to, most of the time we're we're running on about seven linemen that are realistically going to get into the game. Um, And when one guy goes down, sometimes, you know, our, our, our next guy, our, our next best guy is going in one spot and then we're making a, a shift on the O-line. So um, it's it's a different approach where from one year we might have a kid, you know, one year we had two kids playing guard and then the next year we moved them both out to tackle and we put two new younger kids at guard. Um, you know, I had a kid that's, uh, you know, was senior year is playing tackle the year before is playing tight on when he was a freshman, he was a quarterback. I mean, you know, we just, we've had, you know, we've had kids all over the board that part of it is how well do they play with the guys next to them? How well do they communicate with the guys next to them? Like who's their partner athletes, you know, like, um, you know, where's the best fit within that old line. We typically take guys that don't work out at tackle, Uh, because maybe they're too stiff they have a hard time blocking a linebacker and and we moved them to center we've had we've had two former tackles play center Um, and then you know this old adage I I always I tell my running backs all the time if you guys were any better and more athletic you'd be a starting guard you know Um, like and that's there's some truth in that like I mean our, our kids it's If they're really good J blockers and they're the type of kids that are excelling at at the running back, it's like these kids could play guard easily. And when you got few numbers and and you're you you know you're looking for your your three or four best athletes, um, you want them all over the field. But uh, so far, I moved a guard to fullback, but I've never moved a I've never moved a running back to a guard. So some someday it may happen but just a different philosophy than what Gus has. And I don't think either one are wrong. Um, right. Certainly I would do what he's doing if I could. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't be successful, uh, you know, doing it a different way.
2: Right. Well, and I, I want to, I'm going to contact PFF pro football focus, and I want to get a stat on corner to guard moves. And I want I want to see who's <laughs> the winner in that. Cause that's a fascinating stat. Uh, that reminds me of uh, a time we were watching a game. I'm such a dumbass. Me and my best friend Stephen Lowe, are watching a game, and it was like Bishop Gorman or something. And it said QB slash DT, and I went, "Holy shit! The guy plays quarterback and D tackle, and it was it was dual threat." <laughs> uh. <laughs> but it, apparently, <laughs> apparently, out at your school, you could get some. I mean, we got the we got the running back. Defensive tackle or guard corner combo. Do you ever let them? Now, let me ask you this important, uh, important question: Do you ever let the <laughs> do you ever let the the guys that go from corner to O line go back to corner for scout team? <laughs>
1: no, they no they want to play wide receiver on a scout team. That's way more fun than than playing corner.
2: I got gotcha. you. Well, mm-hmm. Fair.
0: Scout team wide receiver is a coveted position on a power tee. Oh, I'm sure. Uh,
2: Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Them receivers come out of that uh, huddle with a little bit extra pep in their step, huh?
1: When they figure out where they're supposed to line up at because they still line up inside
2: the hash marks. (laughs) I'm sure. All right, so we've gone over the philosophy. We've gone over how we're lining up, what we're thinking, how we're placing personnel. Let's talk about this now. What is the first play you're running? What's the first play you're putting in? What's your starting point?
0: Yeah, I mean the first play we install is trap, and uh you know trap's the first play off the series. It's all sequential, you know so uh, all of our guys are doing you know the same first three, four steps It sometimes all looks the same within our offense uh you know, from our guard pulling to our our quarterback under center or you know, our fullback running his trap path or halfback running a, a, a J path. And, uh, you know, the the power back looking like he's getting the ball or fake, it all looks the same. So we start with trap. Um, and, you know, you try to be as fast as you can on that trap play and hit it as quick as, as Gus talked about earlier, you know, it's a play that, you know, can hit, you know, seven times for nothing. And then, those three or four times you expect it to be a huge play for you. And, and oftentimes it is. And um, so that's what we start off with, but the play we could, you know, if you can run one play over and over, which we try to do, it's that power play. It's that off tackle. Um, it, it's, it, it opens up so many things when you can run power successfully, right? Cause the, the defense dedicates people to to stopping that off tackle and, Essentially, it opens up your track, your trap game, and you know outside force players and edge players, and we call them fullback players and ankle biters. They they come back in to stop that off tackle power play, and and then that's going to open up your quarterback on the keep game. Um, so for us, I mean, if we could get into a game and just continuously run power, uh, we're going to do that. And it, you know, it's kind of like that that option philosophy. Uh, you know, if you can run one play on offense, you run a triple option because it hits all three of those areas and, you know, you never really know what you're going to get, but with, with the power T offense, you know, we call that as a coordinator, um, and there's, there's no reading and there's less mistakes and the ball's not flying through the air, but I think you get all the advantages, uh, of, of what the triple option gets. So, uh, that's the number one play in the bread and butter play for us and for a lot of teams that run the power T. We start with that power, and we put a lot of practice hours into blocking it, learning it, and making adjustments off of it.
2: That's fascinating. I would not have thought that you started with traps. See, you learn something new every day. Um, you always think of, well, I, I mean, I shouldn't say you and always – Uh, but I think the, a common thought is that you start with your off tackle play, then you go to your traps and then your counters. So for me, it's, it's really fascinating to, to think that you're going to start with the trap, obviously hang your hat on the power play. Now, when you run power, you've got, you've got those tight splits as well. Correct. Correct. We're foot to foot, correct. so are you are your double teams? Are you trying to get vertical in your double teams? Or are you trying to get lateral?
0: You know it's I've done both, you know, and it's like sometimes uh, you know I, I look at the the double wing teams, you know, that are like there's you you take that idea like opening a door, you know, and trying to get, push them down the line of scrimmage, right? Um. And for, for some kids, it's easier to block that way. Um, like, sometimes we have some less skilled kids or maybe not as powerful kids, as strong kids. So it, it's kind of easier to get them moving down the line of scrimmage. But what the, the years we've been successful, we've, we've tried to get them vertical um, and get them up the field so that, you know, we want those linebackers to have to run the hump, we call it. You know, we want them to run over the top of the double team so that they get there late and they've got some interference, but you got to have some big earth movers to do that, or you got to have really good technique. And, you know, we try to base our offense on having really good technique and, and understanding what it is we're doing. Um, But the, you know, the evolution of what we've done is we've tried to do it both ways. Uh, And I think where we're at now is we try to want to get vertical as much as we can, but, you know, there's times of years where, you don't have those kids, or you're outmatched, and you just do the best you can up front. And oftentimes, if you get a stalemate, you're just happy with a stalemate. Sometimes you're just setting a pick up front. You know, you just got to be honest with yourselves and say, we're just going to get in the way, and and hopefully our running back can squirt through and ships pass in the night. And and uh, you know, it's the nice thing about the power is You really you don't often get too many negative plays. You know, you're kind of always getting one or two yards and you're hoping for three or four. uh, But usually if you're having a negative place, someone's had a huge uh, mental mistake, and, uh, you know, you've hurt yourself in some way, going the wrong way, or, you know, taking a wrong step here. Uh, If you're you're doing things right, you're usually getting yards. So uh, that's an exciting part about the offense, and and, uh, that's how we attack it up front with our double teams.
2: Now, what are your rules for power? Are you teaching more of? A, are you blocking fronts? Are you telling everybody just block down? Are you giving more like gap down backer stuff? How are you teaching that?
0: Well, we, you know, I we got kids that don't have much youth football experience, so we try to keep our, our rules really simple. We want to have a, a, a double team at the point of attack uh, when we have the numbers to do so. So we we really we want to have some sort of double team between, between our our tackle and tight end. Um, but our tackle has the freedom, uh, to go down on a three technique. That's just a war daddy. Um, if our tight ends able enough to make a single block and a single down block, I mean, that's a tough job for a tight end, but you know, our tight ends are second tackles. You know, they're not your typical tight end kids. They're, they're another lineman that's wearing an eligible number. Um, And so we want to create a double team at the point of attack. And then our halfback really has to work hard to make a J block, you know, to kick out block. And we call it a J block because he takes the path of a J gets up into line of scrimmage and uses inside out leverage to, to, to kick out the first guy that shows off the tight ends, butt. and that's a key block for us uh, because we're often undersized at that that running back position. And that's why we say our halfbacks are more like full uh, fullback type kids because yeah, they have to carry the ball, but they also have to dig out some pretty big D ends out there uh, in a one-on-one block. And that's never going away. I mean, there's some things you can do to adjust your schemes to maybe have another guy uh, like a tight end, you know, kick that guy out and those are tags and adjustments that you would make. But uh, that, that key block up front is, is the double team and the J block. And that's where we form the, the, the opening to the funnel, you know, that we call it. We wanna, we wanna funnel our linemen in there. And then once he gets through that line of scrimmage, he's got a 45 degree cut that he can make that forms, you know, that mythical funnel uh, in the defense that uh, we want our running backs to aim for. So we keep our rules pretty simple. Um, we wanna keep the path of the guard uh, clutter free you know, so we really have to be stout. Uh, you know, from from front side guard to center, uh, with our backside tackle uh, cutting and climbing, so no one's shooting and following our guard on the backside. But we need the we need our guards' path to the funnel uh, clear, and then we need a, a double team and a kick out block to open that funnel. And you don't need much room, uh, but you got to be able to squeeze it in there and. and and get your running back north and south in that, in that tiny little space. And that's really all you need. So, um, you know, now we'll double to either a middle linebacker. If there's a three linebacker set or we'll we'll double down to the backside linebacker. Um, And then your guard pulling around, he'll take that play side inside linebacker. But, you know, we see so many fronts with, you know, different guys in there and, it's really often sometimes cloudy, you know, so we, we always tell our kids if a wrong color jersey crosses your face, you know, you put your hat on them right away. And um, it's really a lot about, you have a plan, but you really have to be able to adjust. Um, you know, our guys up front, they're reactors, you know, their first stop is, is to stop the worst thing that's, that can happen to them. Right. So you look at your defense, you go step in a direction where the worst thing that can happen, you're going to stop that simply by where you're placing your body on the snap of the ball. So our guys up front are reactors. And then our pulling guards and our running backs, they're the adjusters. Right. So they, they've got the luxury of having a a couple moments, a vision to process what's going on. And then as they come into the, the mix, they can make an adjustment. So if my lineman messes up, misses a block, um, they're not going to be necessarily wrong because, you know, we've got some guys that can make up for that, you know, cause they can have a little bit of vision and they got a little bit more time than your guys up front. So we call it the react and adjust. Um, and we keep our rules as, as simple as you can.
2: That makes sense. Now, so because your base play is the trap, your fullback is going to get, so so I'm just trying to picture this. So the play side halfback is going to execute the J block, always stepping with their inside foot first, correct? Uh, play side foot
0: first. Oh, play. So they're outside foot, outside foot, then inside. So they get two steps in the line of scrimmage. They can plan off that second step and get inside out leverage.
2: Oh, okay. Interesting. When we, when yeah, we, yeah, them...
0: we want them into the line of scrimmage. We don't, we don't want them taking a direct path. We want him forward to gain that leverage. So then he can't kick out. So we step play side foot and backside foot and plan off of that. Oh,
2: okay. When we were in the double wing and I guess yeah. it's, it's also the different angle because when we were in the double wing at Sarah, our fullback is two yards behind the, the ball or whatever it is, and he's got a tighter angle. And so we would always step with the inside. Uh, we'd step with our inside foot first, and then roll and go. But that that makes sense. So your your play side halfback's kicking out. Your fullback is going to fake trap. I'm guessing on power, and then lead up through the line. He's going to because I know deception and carrying out fakes is, is the utmost yeah. importance in this offense. So that's that's pretty much what's going to happen
0: our fullbacks not going to block anybody. You know, our fullback is going to look to run a path and, you know, get through that line of scrimmage and go score and hopefully have someone chase him. You Makes know, we teach him to be a pinball. He's got to bounce off of people, who, he, he can't fall down and get tackled. I mean, he's got to be a tough kid and and have some wiggle in there. If, if he's tackled, then he's not carrying out a fake. Um mm. I mean, if he is tackled, he's obviously successfully running a fake, but uh we want him to we want him to draw attention to himself, right? So you know, and the reason we, we start off with the trap is just because it's the first it's the first play in the sequence. You know, it's it, it's 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 the number one play. It's the first guy you hand the ball off to is your fullback on trap, the second guy you hand off to is your halfback on power, the third guy is our quarterback keeping. And then you know, and then it's a counter back off of that, or it's the pass off the key play. So, um, you know, we just start with that that trap play because it's the it's the first guy we hand off to, and and it's not that the, everything's built off of that. I mean, we'd run power more times than we run trap in a game, uh, but it, it's just easiest for us and our and our kids to to start that off in our install.
2: That makes sense. Do you ever have like a full flow power play where, you know, it's fourth and one and you want to run power and you just want to get bodies up in there where you just tell that fullback, Hey, you're going to go lead up or are you always going to want to fake that trap? You
0: you know, we'll, we will, we'll tag the play and we'll call it, we'll call it a power lead. Um, And then that just tells our fullback to abandon that, that, uh, that fullback trap fake. And then he'll be an extra guy in the line of, you know, through the hole get them through the funnel as well. But uh, we can also tag it a quarterback follow, right? So we'll run power follow and that, that'll just tell our quarterback, don't hand the ball off. Just get right in the hip pocket of the, uh, the full or the halfback that you would normally give the ball to. And now he becomes a lead blocker. Um, You know, we can, we've called it, like a toss too, where we'll just have we'll run it like a double, double wing toss play. We'll just have the quarterback turn out of there and toss it to that half back. And now the quarterback and the fullback and the guard, they're all running, you know, like a student body power. So now we got three guys up through the funnel. Um, it's not something we do a whole lot, but yeah, when you need that extra yard um, or a two point conversion play, there's ways to adjust. I mean, the T formation is so diverse with all the things that you can do. You can, you can run a lot of different offenses um, and series and plays out of that formation. It's just the power T community is we're all attached to that trap, keep and, and power play that it's just, that's what we identify with. Um, And you know the the power play is the most diverse for us. We can tag it in in numerous ways to, uh, you know, to to block the D end. If our halfback's not getting the job done, then we can turn our, hat, our 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 tight end out and let him block it. And that's you know a cannonball call or we call it a Y call where we're, our tight ends identify who blocks the end. We can also G it so that we identify our front side guard now is going to pull and he's going to kick out like. Um, almost like a belly G type uh, blocking scheme. We can X block it where, you know, our tight end and our, and our tackle will, you know, switch responsibilities. So there's, for us, there's a lot of ways to tag that power play and make it into a new blocking scheme. Uh, You know, I, do we have all those up every week? No. I mean, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to practice, but, you know, you have it in that grab bag, you have it in your tackle box, and uh, when you need it at a, to make a halftime adjustment, you give your kids a little bit of warning and say, hey, we're going to try this technique because um, we think it's going to give us an advantage, then you pull it out and you do it. So um, it's really our most diverse play, in, at least in our offense.
2: Oh, it's uh, it's a good one. It stood the test of time. So I'm gonna go over to Gus. Anything different that you'd mention from what uh Dave said? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, I mean in, in some and some of
1: it is, is literally so minor, like like certain steps and in, in foot placement, things like that. But um, you know, to me, just to kind of piggyback on what Dave was was talking about with the variations, I think a lot of people when they look at the offense, they're like, Oh, this is a three backs and it's two tight ends are running essentially six plays like that. I mean, that's nothing. The issue is, or the difference is where most offenses today, the variations are formations or motions. Um, our variation is blocking scheme. Uh, you're essentially running the same six patterns in the backfield. Uh, but with, you know, multiple blocking schemes that are applicable to specific situations and defenses. So, um, You know, like you talk about a full-flow power play. For us, that's kind of become the only power play we run. Um, And that's simply because the the people that we play have defended the offense for so long in in the state of Michigan that 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 fullback fake is no longer holding guys. Um, And, and, you know, that our our fullback is is actually expected to make that block Uh, when he fakes trap going through there. We expect him to wrap play side uh, and actually get hit the hip with a guard as as they enter the hole. Um, that is a very difficult block to make, uh, because he's got to come all the way back around to the play side. Um, but you know, uh, it, it's for us, we, we need that extra hat in the fullback, uh, you know, to the play side because, because the defense is usually locked in and, and they're, they're getting there in a hurry as well. So, um, but I think everybody that runs the offense has their own little take and their own little spin on it because, you know, we don't all play the same people Uh, and we're all in, in slightly different situations and leagues and and things like that. So we've all got to make it our own to, to, you know, address the, the specific issues that we might see on a week to week basis.
2: Yeah, no, no two situations are exactly alike. And now Gus, we talked in the pre-interview. You see a lot more complex defenses. You're in a place that, you know, as we've talked about for a while, Dave was the only power T coach in Wisconsin. Do I correct? That was what we you'd mentioned earlier, right?
0: There's none within you know 400 miles of where I live. There's one other team, yeah, you know, Curly, Wisconsin.
2: <laughs> there you go. And so, you know, but. Michigan seems to have a longer history with the offense. And like you said, you've had to change it because teams have gotten good at defending it or, or I don't know if they've gotten good at defending it, but they've, they've, they've gotten better at defending some aspects. And so you've had to adapt or you've decided to adapt.
1: Um, Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's not, not, not a choice. It's, it's adapt or or you're going to be looking for another job.
2: Well, and, and I, I didn't know if it was a scenario where, you were trying to stay ahead of the curve and be like, well, maybe we should do this, or if it was like, okay, we have to do this. That—that's what I was unsure of. But, um, so you—you you had mentioned that you see way more complex defenses, and this <laughs> offense is one of the first organized system-based offenses. I mean, would you guys agree? Like, I mean, what's before the power T? That's a system-based offense that people would still know about today. Single wing. Single wing was before. Okay. See, that's where I, so, so it's funny because offensive guys will go back. I know a guy that wouldn't run offenses before the 19, like tens where defense you you, like, I can't look at stuff from seven years ago because like, like for example, Alabama, I study them a lot studying Alabama pre 2015 is pre 2015 is useless at this point. Minus little niches of like how they played certain coverages or whatever, unless you're playing an offense that was developed before that time. So it's funny where, you know, I know a guy that ran the Notre Dame box. Literally that was his offense. That's all he did. You know, we, I couldn't run a defense from (laughs) 1912. Like I can't even imagine how that would, that would work. Um, But so, so it's fascinating talking to guys from the other side and where inspiration comes from. But anyway, so the offense has been in Michigan for a very long time. You're seeing a lot more developed defenses with more of a complex plan. What, and this is a system-based offense. What are some of the, what are the three most common, either common if-thans that happen, or if guys that are listening to this that have either been thinking about putting it in, or they're starting to put it in that they need to be ready for that could hurt you. And then what's your response?
1: Sure. I mean, the, the first one is, is what we would call grubs. Some people call divers. Um, I mean, you're, 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 you're tight with your splits. You're, you're obviously running the ball a majority of the time. And most of your game is going to involve running behind some type of double team or combo block. And you know, it, it, even even if your talent is is equal, if I get two of my guys on one of your guys, we're probably going to displace him off his spot. So, um, you know, if you run this offense, you're you're going to see it. And we we play some teams that um, have multiple techniques within the same game uh, with different types of grubs. Uh, they'll have, you know, kind of the, the launch to a spot guy where he's trying to get, you know, beyond the heel depth of the, of the line. And then he's, you know, he's a a foot grabber. Uh, we have uh, a team that, that we'll play this year that's that's kind of invented and perfected what what they call the tornado technique where that guy's actually spinning sideways and, and trying to essentially cancel two for one. What is this, Cirque
2: um, du Soleil? What the hell? It's, I, I, I'm telling you, well, so this, the school, and, and it was
1: a mistake on my part to pick them up, but it's it's the school closest to us. But they have three times as many kids, and we haven't played them since the 1970s. Um, it's the same high school that Joe Staley graduated from that played uh, in the NFL for the for the 49ers, and they they play um, they play they've played this offense for 20 plus years with the same D coordinator. Uh, and they have kind of fallen into this um, technique, and they're they're incredible at it because they get kids. You know, they'll have 70, 80 kids on their roster, and they'll get they'll get four or five kids that are great at it, and that and that they'll do that uh, for two or three weeks before they play a t team. Um, so you know, you have these different grubs, and for us, if you want to talk about answers. The the first answer is for your guys up front to obviously be ready for it. Um, You know, it's it's something that we have to prepare for every single week. Um, And the first thing you just, you need to let your guys know is look, the reason they're doing this is because they, they, they want to cancel two for one. So we can't allow that to happen. Uh, You know, our combos will change where it's more rather than what we would call an Iowa combo, where we're trying to work the inside guy off to a linebacker. Uh, we'll make more Okie combo calls where that, that outside guy now is, is almost definitely coming off to the second level. And the inside guys really got to be, be firm. So it gives us more of a, a zone ish kind of look uh, to the play side, but it allows us to get cleaner to the second level. Um, you know, and then from a very, very basic standpoint, if they're laying on the ground, it's really hard to rush a passer. Uh, and, you know, as much as maybe we're not a pass first offense, I think in games where you're going to get a lot of grubs, throw the football uh you know your quarterback's gonna have time because if they've got three or four guys laying on the ground it's really hard to rush a passer uh and it's really hard to to get out on the edge to to run sweep down um so you know as soon as we start seeing a lot of grubs um you know we're going to try to try to to single block a little bit more we're going to try to to get combo uh guys to the second level clean um you can widen out your splits a little bit which which we like to do um, and then obviously throw the ball and, and get outside. So, um, the grub thing, I mean, it, it's going to happen if you're in this offense, you're, you're going to see it. Um, so you need to be prepared for it. You need to, to drill it. Uh, you know, we do some drills with our offensive line guys on, on bags and where they're getting super low and, and trying to you know, drive, drive a bag out. We do uh, another drill we got from, from Tim Murphy that he calls a flip drill, which is, which is kind of an anti-grub drill. Uh, that we do with our guys. So that to me, that, that's kind of a, a catch all where, where you're going to see that an even defense, not a solid, um, you know, where you get those grubbers uh, up front. So, you know, that to me would, would, would be the first one. Uh, the second one is obviously the hard spill. Um, you know, Dave talked about the J block um, and, and how they coach it. We don't, we don't really coach it that way anymore. Uh, for us, it's more of, of an I block. Um where you know we know nine times out of ten that that edge guy is is taught. Hey, you're in a what we call a seven technique. What's what most people call a nine technique. That, that that defender's taught. You get hands on the tight end. You flatten down his release, and then in, when he goes inside, the first thing that comes to you, you are you are going to heart spill that ball, um, and then they're going to fit that spill. Uh, either with a play side linebacker on a, on a tight, scrape path, or they're going to fill it with, you know, what we call a vampire, which essentially is a free safety. That's walked down to about six yards over the ball. And, and he's going to be an, an alley fitter off the spill both ways uh, or the, or they'll, they'll, you know, corner rotate where they'll, you know, fire the corner and, and roll the safety over into the, into the play side half. But, you know, for us, we have to have answers for that uh, beyond winning physical battles. Um, you know, like our, our halfbacks, like Dave said, are going to be bigger, you know, fullback type guys. Um, and we do expect them to, to at least get a stalemate, but you know, in our league that, that we play, um, you know, some of those dudes are big. Uh, some of the, you know, we played a team this year, won a state championship. I mean, their edge guys were, I mean, six three, two twenty five. 225 one kid is a Notre Dame commit. Um, you know so i mean it's 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 a tough ask so you have to have answers to to use that technique against them um you know the quarterback keep game uh, to me is is a, is a big part of that where um you know your your backfield action is going to look exactly like the off tackle play that dave described except uh, on that halfback's last step rather than than j blocking that guy with his with his play side shoulder uh he's he's going to hook him with it, with his inside shoulder uh, you're gonna bubble the guard, the backside guard around that. Uh the quarterback's gonna put the ball in the halfback's belly and pull it out and and attack the edge with with that guard. Um, you know there are obviously other plays that we can run. there's a you know a lot there's a lot of different ways to attack the edge out of the T, and everybody has once again their own little flavor., uh, you can get outside with sweep. I've seen guys run like fullback toss uh, to, to get outside that. Uh, one of, one of our, our solutions against that look is, is we really like uh, tackle tight end cross block, uh, just an old school cross block, uh, simply because, like I said, that seven technique is taught to get hands on the tight end, Hand, you know, tight end goes inside, the, half, the uh, defensive end or that seven techniques eyes are going to go to the halfback now. Well, the halfback is, is now blocking them. The halfback is, is taking a jab step out and then inserting on the linebacker. Uh, and that tackle now is, is on a cross block path, looking to kick him out. So, you know, we've got his eyes, not on the guy that's going to kick him out. We typically have a bigger body guy and ta- it tackle that's going to get on that, that seven technique. Um, so for us, you know, that, that would, what, what we call a, a Ted block, a, a tackle tight end cross block with the halfback through the hole. That's really become our jam uh, like, like against that type of look. That's, that's probably our most run um, off tackle adjustment, um, and, uh, just really, really successful for us. But, you know, I like some of the things I mentioned, uh, the vampire look, um, the hard, the hard guys that are hard still on the edge, uh, obviously, you know, most teams that you play are, are going to be in some type of guard read scheme. So, you know, you need to have uh, a sucker play in there that, that, you know, you carry every week into your game plan. Like we do. Um, you know, sucker is always going to be, you know, some, some kind of guard pull opposite is going to be in our, in our game plan every single week, both for off tackle and trap and and sweep and a few other things. Um, but you know, those, those seem to be the most common things that, that we see. Uh, and like I said, we play, we play people that have defended it for a very long time. Uh, and to me, I think the secret of, of teams that defend it really well is that they get their kids to, to play extremely disciplined, uh, the, and, and they get their kids, uh, comfortable in what they're doing because most of the, of the really good teams they play don't change their, their base defense a whole lot for us. Obviously they need to adjust it and tweak it. Um, but it's not like a team is a, you know, a four, two, five. And then when they play us, they become a five, three defense. Uh, you know, they're going to take that four two five and they're going to adjust it with, with the personnel they have uh, to get their kids in positions that they're used to playing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's to me, it's it, every off season. It's, you know, you go back, you look at what worked, what didn't. Uh, and then I think every off season, there's a little bit of anticipation, like, okay, like what, what do we think we're going to see this year? And, and can we stay ahead of the curve?
2: I had a question for you. Now we play a lot of three and six, but our sixth technique would be head up. I don't know, people name things differently. Our six yep, technique no, we is
1: call those six techniques.
2: All right, perfect. Our sixth technique is head up, but we're reading the tackle. Yep. We don't even care about the tight end. And what's helped us in the past, and I'm the goal of this is not to play chalk lasts, you know, that that's not I'm not trying to do this. I just was curious <laughs> how teams dealt with this because we played teams that use the de La Salle blocking progression. Yep. And they were so, you know, get the second step in the ground, you know, quicker than the other guy, fire off the ball, blah, blah, blah. So we lined up in a six and we would keep, we're not even looking at the tight end. Our eye is our eyeball in the hip of the tackle. He's down, I'm down. And so these tight ends would fire on at us and we're going inside. Now, obviously we have calls to slant inside and we have calls to slant the line, the entire line, you know, to, to the play. And get him outside to keep him honest. How would you deal with something like that? How would you deal with a three and a six where that guy is not affected by any kind of influences or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we would we would double team him.
2: And, and single the three?
1: Sound, yes, and that's the first thing that everybody says you would say and and, and yeah, and, and this is the reason why because it is counterintuitive, right? You're like, well, well, that's a good matchup for the defense because now your guards on my three technique, that's, that's a pretty good guy. And my argument is, and I mean, our, our trust me, our guards are really good at this. Our guards essentially understand they just have to get run over slowly to the play side, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that tackle, uh, you know, he's gotta be trap conscious every, every snap, especially if you're a three technique, right? Because if you're going to, if you're going to play two, eye and a three, you know, that's one of the things, you know, that we're looking for. You know, we, we want to know if they are shading guys or if you're playing double threes or double twos or whatever. So that tackle's probably going to be really thick as a three technique. He'll be a really heavy three. Uh, and our guard knows, like, look, you got you got to work like hell to get your head play side, and you've got to basically get run over slowly and try to keep him uh, as far away from the C-gap as possible. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing we can do, too, is, if you want to keep your fullback on the midline, you feel like maybe you can pull that tackle inside with a trap fake, or you can say tell the fullback, look, as you insert on your path, and, and our fullback when he inserts into the C gap is going to be a little bit of a rounded path. Um, you just tell him, look, your 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 one eye is in the alley, and your inside eye is kind of eyeballing that three technique. And if it looks like he's he's going to cross the face of the guard, then then you can get sticky on him there, um, but. You know, that's, that's the first way that we do it. And then we would, we, we would look to combo that six technique, uh, with the tight end and tackle, um, the other, the other way you can do it. And this is, this is kind of how things have evolved for the power T at least in the area that I coach in. And this comes from John Chilado at, it West is that's a pretty common look, um, particularly if you want to talk about like, like a, a, like a nose, a three, a six, and then a, then a hard charging nine coming off the edge. Uh, and, and for a while, that was a, a predominant defense uh, and, and successful. And what John morphed into is he started putting mutants at tight end. Uh, he went through a run of, and not everybody has kids like this, but I think it illustrates a point that I, that I think a lot of people, when, when you hear tight end, you're thinking, Oh, we want a guy that's a pass catcher that can be athletic. And, and, and some of those things. Um, and John had some, the the one kid was a a division one offensive tackle and went to Western Michigan. And that, that kid's six, six, about three Oh five. Uh, he started putting those types of kids at tight end, uh, so they could single block six techniques. Um, and then all of a sudden now that problem with the three technique is not as big a problem. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, you can get inside movement by by the by the six technique on the inside release of the tackle, uh, but the tight end also can can widen that gap out a little bit uh, with a split, uh, and if he can get hands on, then he can collapse the the C gap. You get a J on that that nine outside, and that and that crease gets pretty big. So we that's kind of where we we're at now. We put our best guys at tight end. Uh, I think a lot of people think you put your best guys at guard in the, in the link to your power tee. Uh for us. If we have, if we have guys at tight end that are, that are plus plus players, uh, it allows us a lot more flexibility at the line of scrimmage as to some of the things we can do if they can, if they can single block guys.
2: Yeah. And conversely, when I meet with guys, when we played the double wing and in, in off tackle based defense or off tackle based offenses, rather we do the same thing. <laughs> So we had we we had played this team that was a double wing team Bellerman College Prep in NorCal near Dale La Salle and Clayton Valley some of the schools you talked about and they would have really good tight ends their best lineman would be their tackle their second best lineman would be their play side tight end and they would flip yeah well you know not a novel idea but we started flipping our our six and our three and so. We played our D-end at three, put him nose in the gap. Now, we couldn't do this versus you because you run a lot of trap. They didn't run any trap. And we would just try to take a pile if we felt a double. We weren't trying to cut him, but we would just pull it down. And then we put our 385-pound three technique that's probably going to play guard in the NFL, who um, tore his Achilles in November and the following August was starting for UCLA as a 17-year-old true freshman. What is that? Eight, nine months removed from an Achilles surgery. Dominating. And we just put him at six technique, and we said, have fun. And we were playing teams that played wings. Like, they had the wing, too. And so Um, there's a play where we're playing a wing T team, and they double him with the tight end in the wing. He shrugs both off. The fullback comes to kick him out. He discards him. And then tackles the ball carrier. And then the next play, they're like, well, let's run Rocket. And he runs in the C gap, stays stays, you know, in the gap, in the gap, in the gap, and makes a tackle for loss on Rocket. And he's three hundred and eighty-five pounds. So yeah, I mean, it seems to be the way to win is on one side of the ball, you need to have the mutant. As I like that, the mutant. That's a that's a it's kind of a cool word. Like it's a cool word, but it's not too disparaging. (laughs) Yeah. But it paints a picture. Yeah, I mean,
1: it, I mean, it's like for us, we, we don't have that kid. Um, like yeah. like our and we had an all we had an all state tight end this year as a sophomore, and he's a, a six foot three, two hundred fifty five pound kid that that's athletic. Uh, the kid before him was a was a six foot two hundred fifteen pound inside linebacker kid whose dad is a our, our strength conditioning guy, just a, a rocked up rugged kid that that you know had great technique, but it just kind of illustrates a point that you know if you think well hey i've got this kid that that you know previously was uh you know a, a split end and it's kind of a bigger kid not terribly athletic we're just going to put him at tight end um that that's not going to work um you know I, I hate to say it but i would rather have a, a converted tackle there cuz i mean to me i can't i can't teach 66305 but i can take a kid out on a jug's machine and get him you know proficient at catching a football you know what i'm saying
2: absolutely Make Defense Great Again is also brought to you by Huddle. Hey coaches, did you tune in to Huddle's Blitz 21 Summit? If you did, you already know. If you didn't, you missed the unveiling of Huddle's new AI camera for outdoor venues. The crazy thing is, the camera's actually hands-free. That's right, hands-free. As in, you don't have to touch a thing. It automatically tracks the action on the field without a camera person needing to zoom or pan. It automatically starts recording based on your huddle schedule. And that's not all. It live streams for your fans that can't be at the field. It automatically clips plays and uploads videos so you can start reviewing as soon as the game's over. And if you've got huddle sideline, yes, this replaces your press box angle. And by the way, this is a one-time installation. It takes just a few minutes to set up. You mount it, you set it, and you forget it. And this will be ready for your program in 2021 and if you've got the athletic department package this device comes at no extra cost learn more about everything this incredible camera does and how it fits into your program by visiting huddle.com/coachvass once again that's huddle.com/coachvass check it out today and tell them coach vass sent you now i want to kind of i know this is getting long so i don't want to keep you guys forever Real quick, Dave, what are some of your auxiliary plays that you run? Obviously, we can't get into every single play in great detail. But now that we know we've got trap, we've got the power plays and the tags there. Off, what are just your next five plays that you're going to work? And that minus, I want to say minus play action pass, because we're going to talk about that next. Sure. So
0: I'm trap, power, keep. Uh, every play every team's got some sort of counter and there's you know there's different ways to run that counter let me interrupt you real
2: quick so you're saying keep to the same side right because a lot of people when they hear keep they're thinking boot naked keep weak no 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 okay
0: yeah we call it the quarterback keep it's out to the same size so right so it's the, the trap is your a gap your your powers are off tackle and then your quarterback keep is 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 your outside playoff That's edge.
2: brilliant because you force the defense to layer themselves like triple option like in terms of how yes. you can how you layer yourself horizontally I'm sorry I'm getting to like I'm I'm moving <laughs> you would think after 2 years of doing podcasts uh I would hmm. realize that the people can't see my hands but I'm like gesturing <laughs> like like a moron uh but yeah no it, that that's awesome cuz cuz most offenses don't do that that aren't triple option like I don't I mean, besides an option team, like I can't think of a of a team that threatens three gaps to the same side. Like, I, I don't know. If I'm probably just drawing a blank, but I, I usually it's you go one way and then the counters coming the other way or the quarterback boots weak. But to keep have that guy, you know, having to be the deep yep. defenders, having to key a tight end. And then, oh, by the way, if the if the quarterback comes out, you got to play him. That's tough.
0: Well, the, you know, the idea is to always have two guys faking on every play. There's there's one ball carrier and, and two guys running some sort of fake. And on some plays, there's three guys, uh, you know, running a fake. Um, but, you know, it, firstly, you got to understand that, the, you know, I'm playing checkers over here and Gus is playing chess. I mean, I've got no one running this offense and and I don't have defenses that are are, are poised enough to, you know, start talking to people over in Michigan that have defended it for years and years and years. So w- we do things so much simpler than, you know, what teams in Michigan are doing. And, uh, in, in where it's such a young program that, you know, when we first started doing this, we weren't having the success with the base offense. So, you know, we were looking for answers, like, you know, trap was, was probably our best play. We had a hard time with power. Keep was like, we couldn't do that to save our lives. Um, so we started looking for those supplemental plays, right. Um, how can we run off tackles? Is it, is it with a some sort of down scheme or a belly scheme? Uh, you know, how do we get to the outside? Is, are we going to run sweep or a toss or some kind of, you know, go with a wing and run some fly motion or rocket, um, you know, and And what we finally came up with is, is every time we added some supplemental plays, we took time away from practicing our base plays, which weren't very good. So, you know, we, we stepped away and went and went back. We went less is more and spent more time really understanding the techniques, the details, which when you're a power T coach and you're watching everything that, that, you know, is happening on film and other people are doing and you're like, Oh, wow, we, you know, we should add this and we should add that. And what you don't realize is these programs have been doing it for so long that, that they're facing defenses where it's a necessity to add some more plays because you do get that advantage. Uh, For us, it was, it was, we almost put ourselves at a disadvantage because now we're running more plays and we're, we're not running any of them very good. Right. So now we're to the point where we we really understand our base offense. We can teach it. Our coaches can coach it. Our kids have had enough years in the system where they they've learned it and understand it. So it's like, you know, should we add a new play? And usually our answer is, you know, we've already got a, a, a four yard play that attacks that area, you know, that we can hang our hat on. So what's the advantage of adding another play? that we're going to try to get four yards there when we already have that play in place. Um, so we've, we've actually stepped back and and done less stuff, um, which is, is kind of a point of pride for us. It's like, you know, how few plays can we go into our first game with and, you know, still get a victory out of it. You know, how, how, how many times can we just run power trap and the keep and not ever throw the ball? and, I, I think we're in a situation where we're able to do that um, because of the opponents that we play and, and, and the, the defenses that we see. And I, I don't think Gus is able to do that. Um, Cause mm-hmm. those guys over there, I, you know, he's talking about having a false pull in and I've watched enough film on him and the other guys in Michigan where they all have their little twist on things. And, and, you know, we know them as a coach, just by watching film, you go, oh, yeah, well, Gus is doing that again. And, you know, and it took me a while to figure out that like, he was false pulling and I'm sitting there watching film going, geez, how is Gus's guys making these mistakes? You know, and they got guys pulling the <laughs> wrong way. I mean, you know, we, we got the old, uh, you know, pulling two guards, right. And they're meeting behind the center colliding into <laughs> each other. And I'm like, geez, you know, I'm like, I don't expect these guys from Michigan to do it, but, as I'm watching film and I'm seeing those guys, like all of a sudden they're running outside zone, you know, and I'm like, "What? this looks like power, but it is not power. It kind of looks like a sweep. I'm like, I don't know what these guys are doing. And, and then you finally you talk to them and uh, you go to a clinic and it's amazing how much the, the simplified, you know, series that's, uh, what I know and love has has morphed and changed and grown. And you know, when Gus talks about children running uh, shotgun, you know, power T stuff, that's like that blows my my hair right off my head because I can't I can't imagine that. But I understand the necessity of it, and I think you know you can do both. You can be as simple as we're trying to be, like a youth offense, and we're getting away with winning games, doing it, and being successful. And I sleep a lot better. Because I know I'm not going to have to have to add a whole lot. I could just concentrate on the def- you know, on the details, and just I get better by being more organized and having more focus in practice. Where, you know, on the other side of the big lake that separates Wisconsin and Michigan, they're doing things that are, I mean, man, they're. they're <laughs> They're drawing a lot of stuff up on their whiteboards and I'm sure they all got notebooks next to their beds at night where they wake up and draw things out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are supplemental plays and those plays can be endless, you know, I mean, part of, part of what I try to do as a coach is is rule those things out because quite honestly, in the off season, I get bored and I go, we should add to our offense. And I see all these cool things that other key teams do. And uh, it, it's really hard not to to want to add those things. And and I think if, you, if I were to, you know, get at a, a bigger school or a different situation or if I ever wanted to leave, I'd have all that stuff in my, you know, my toolbox and be able to use it and bring it out if you had, you know, if I had 13 guys on staff and I had a roster of 100 kids, you know, that would be different than having five coaches and, you know, 30 kids on your sideline. So, uh, you know, Gus, if you want to add, I know you've, you've got a variety of really cool plays that you supplement your offense with.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate the kind words, but I don't think you watched any film on us play this year. So, um, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at my, my ready list for 2021 and it is, it has gotten, and then I'm looking at my 2020 ready list. And the 2021 list is a lot smaller than 2020. Is
2: that COVID related? Um, I,
1: um it was, yeah, it was. It's called the head coach had too much time on front of a computer, listening to podcasts, <laughs> and your video, damn podcasts.
2: Always and, the problem.
1: And, and, and everything looks good and you're, Oh, we can do this. Oh, that would fit perfect. Oh, we, yeah. Why not? Let's put that. And by like the second week of the season, like you're two and all and you're, you know, you're two and zero but you don't feel real good about yourself. And then week three, you just, you just get kicked and, and you get kicked again two weeks later. And, and suddenly you're like, mm, maybe we should just, and I told the kids, I said, here's, here's the, the play sheet that our freshman team uses this is what we're running for the rest of the year. Um, and then we, we got back to to doing things the right way. And and I swore that I'm never going to be that smart again. And I'm going to, I'm going to be like Dave. I'm going to be simple. So yeah, I, yeah, it was COVID related. It had nothing to do with COVID. It had nothing to do with their kids. It was the, the head coach just having way, way, way too much time to, to get in the toy box.
2: I misunderstood your, your, your first statement or the way you said it. I thought you were going to say, well, we had nothing in 2020 compared to 2021 because COVID. We didn't have the time, blah blah blah. But it was it was the opposite. You had like it was the, too much, the equivalent of the COVID 15, but with your offense.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just everything looked good, and 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 quite honestly, we we kind of were the same way on defense. That we man, we had we had stuff for things that we didn't even know we needed to to defend, and um, yeah, I think. And, and, you know, that's the world we live in, I mean, I, obviously I, you know, I listen to your podcast, I listen to other stuff. Cause I've, have, I've have two hours commute time every day. Um, and I think, you know, at, at times every, everything looks good, you know? And I, I, there's a lot to be said for the word. No is, is a football coach.
2: Yeah. It's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get rid of that stuff. Once you get it in, you know, I, I'm, I'm like Saban in the sense that I, I would put stuff in and I really wouldn't take stuff out. And it's, I've said this before, but I've had the, the best game plans I've ever created on the defensive side of the ball were against system offenses like the wing T or whatever. And it's not because, Oh, they're old and they're easy to defend. And people we know so much about and none of that bullshit. It's the yeah. fact that there are guardrails in place. You cannot blitz the wing T interior interior wise out of an even front. If you want to live to tell a story, you can bring a backer inside backer, walk them off the edge and do some things. But if you're going to blitz backers in the a gap and the B gap, you're, you're going to get hurt. Uh, The double wing, you can't blitz at all. Blitzing inside and all is just it's suicide. And with the two by two formations, it's really hard to bring a safety off the edge without unwinding your defense. So, when you've I've done my best work when I faced these offenses which force you to be uh it forces your hand. It doesn't allow you to do certain things and these these guardrails in place, even if you wanted to, you can't do it. And then, you know, I go play a spread team and I go ape shit. And I try to put everything in <laughs> that you can possibly put in, and it's you think after coaching for fifteen years. I'd put two and two together, but by golly, I'm a stubborn sob now. I boredom is my is my problem, and it's it's got to be tough, especially like you said, Gus. You know, during COVID, there's all these people sharing cool information, and you know, you guys are running an offense that's been around for over 100 years, and obviously, there's tweaks. There's always going to be tweaks, but like you said, Dave, you want to keep the the core of the offense. You don't want to stray too far because of practice time and whatnot, and you know boredom boredom must set in at some point. In the sense that, like, you're studying, like you said, you're you're trying not to get bored. You're studying. We can only you can only read so much about technique before you're like, all right, you know, maybe it's just me, but like, okay, how how many different ways can you run a double team? You know, versus how many different counter can you run you know i mean I, I can guess which one there's more of so
0: we've got we, we've got more new t-shirts we've got more new helmet stickers we've got more new arm pads uh you know like it, because i'm bored you know it's like my head coach <laughs> is like you go here go design a t-shirt it's like don't don't come up with any new plays you know the, <laughs> idle time is more dangerous to me than a you know a award anti-three technique You know, I'm more, he's more worried about me getting bored and, you know, like, hey, should we run motion this week or maybe we should split an end? It's like, no, don't do that. Um, And you're right. It's tough because we want to evolve. And I've really, we've spent a lot of time at Reagan the last couple of years, taking a hard look at how we practice and how we organize practice and really breaking down our, you know, our indie um, and our small group time and anything that that we're practicing that doesn't look like something we do on the field, we get rid of it. And um, you know, how can we break small groups down so that you know these guys are running power and these guys are running you know the backside of power. You know, we got a trap group going here and we got a J blocking group going there. And uh, you know, we're doing play action pass and then we've got other guys doing other stuff. So we've tried to become as efficient as we can and in the way we practice and that that did a great job of filling one off season. I mean, you know, I, I don't, Gus, I don't know what you do during your off seasons, but um, you know, other than you just like breaking down defensive film and uh, you know, I see so many different D coordinators change and uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot of history of, you know, teams with the same defense coordinator running the same defense against us that, you know, like, from one year to the next, it, we might not have any tendencies. We might not have any film from prior years. And you know, the, the most important time in pregame is when t- me and my old line coach can go stand and watch the other team, you know, practice against the, their scout team and their 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 game warm up. Like that's the most valuable time to even get a feel as to what we're gonna see during the game. You know? Yeah. Um so it's uh, again, we're we're living in different worlds here. Uh, being in, in Michigan and Wisconsin and in different places uh, where where our offense and our programs are, but um.
2: yeah, I mean, again, we've talked about this before, but you got to do what you see, and I think that you know some guys, you know, they're going to be in the same position you're in, Dave. They're going to be the smaller, you know, have smaller numbers with less experience in terms of running this offense. So I think your insight. Although I know that you've deferred to Gus because he's done this longer and um, has more experience and has done more schematically because of what he mm-hmm. sees. I think there's some really some real value in in your insight into, you know, playing this, especially for beginners, guys that maybe haven't done it as long. And I know you're not a beginner. I mean, I, I don't want you to I don't want to to put that out there, uh, but in terms of you're not able to do a lot of stuff. And I the last question I'm going to ask, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll go to that right now. This is a good segue. So we have a few minutes left. I've got two quick questions for you. Yep. Um. So, Dave, I'll start with you on this one. Yep. Do you think, and I know that I want to ask this in a non-insulting way because I think that it, <laughs> this question could be looked at in a way that's like, what, you think our offense is that easy? You can just do it in 10 minutes. That's, I, I want to say this up front, that's not the case. However, when I was at Sarah High School, we ran the double wing. So before I got there, they were a flexbone, bone, Air Force, Navy, flexbone bone team, mostly 30 personnel, and then they ran the, the double wing, under center double wing. And how we structured it was, or how they structured it before is, They only practiced the doubling 20 minutes a day and they treated it as a special team. So Sarah's platoon. So they have offense defense and then they'd only practice the double wing 20 minutes a day and everybody would come together just like, just like a special team. And they kept the rules simple. You know, basically it was everybody blocked down. I don't want to give out. I don't want to give out too much, but the rules were simple and we were able to run the offense. And when, Stephen Lowe and I came in in 2013, we converted the team to a spread offense, Tony Franklin style off the bat. And then we evolved from there, but we kept the double wing and there was a safety blanket and a couple things that it did for us. One, it gave us a toughness that I don't believe that you can get from being in the spread all the time. And I know I'm mean, people are rolling their eyes and Oh, whatever, you know, um, that's old school thinking. I'm just here to tell you, when you have a piece of an offense, where you're standing foot to foot and you're trying to step together with somebody and knock the ever living shit out of them, and it 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 just gave us a harder mentality. Um, I've been on other spread teams. I've coached on other spread teams, and we were not as physical and and they gave us a way to be physical and to tee off on people that and again, we were not soft in running zone, but I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. You can give me all the arguments in the world. There's nobody that unless they're just genetic freaks and the guys doing the double team suck. But there's no way that you can tell me that inside zone is a more physical play than putting two kids foot to foot, stepping them together and running a true double team. Not a scoop, not a combo off a double team where you are just trying to displace somebody in, into a linebacker's lap. And it really provided a it provided a platform for a lot of things. It brought the team together. Now I know you don't have this problem, Dave, because you got a small team anyway. But you know, a lot of the times, our head coach was coaching offensive line, and and he had been from going from being like the DC to the offensive line coach, and he didn't see the defensive players for half the practice. This was a way to bring us together. It was a way to unify us in the locker room. We had open tryouts for every position. You know, most we try to keep the line intact, but the tight ends would sometimes be DN. Sometimes they'd be um, linebackers. You know, you never knew, but we were at Sarah for five years and it culminated with being in a state championship game. And we go into halftime. It's 14-7. They come out. They score on the first drive, go 99 yards. It's 14-14. At one point in this game, we had four out of our starting five linemen out. Now, two of them were out. uh, One of them was out before the game started. Another one got his ACL torn on a questionable behind the play tackle. I'm trying to say this nicely on an interception. And then the center hurt his hand and then somebody else did something. Our quarterback, we didn't notice after the game had broken ribs. So here we are in a state game against a team that was far physically superior to us. Well, they were on offense defense. It was, it was more even. We have four starting linemen out and a quarterback who Got a clipped wing. We call power right. The front side guard blocks down, completely whiffs. The backside guard pulls around, doesn't block a soul, and we get nine yards. We won the game 38 14. And this was the number one offense in the entire country. We were able to hold the ball and sit on the ball. And it's funny because Steven, who was our offensive coordinator, was the spread guy that brought the spread in, was, you know, naturally the double wing was something new to him. And our head coach had run the double wing and our head coach is on the sideline going, Steven, throw the ball. And Steven's going, are you crazy? We're getting eight yards of play on power. Like, why would I throw the ball? It was like, they had role reversal in the biggest games of our lives. And so I tell that story because one of the goals of this podcast is to bring to light offenses that are a little niche, a little, you know, that there's jokes about there being a cult. There's no joke about, you know, there's no joke about, oh, are you in the are you in the Gus and cult? Like, ha, ha, ha. Like, that doesn't exist. There's a reason for that. And, you know, you guys are passionate about the side events. But why I framed the question the way I did and shared the story is, do you think a team, I, I've talked to spread guys all the time, that they want, and especially in the Northern California area, where they saw what it did for us, having that that double wing. And, and frankly, we played De La Salle. We wouldn't be in one snap of it because they were physically superior to us. Then across the board and then, um, you know, passing game, we had a chance because they are used to defending the split back V every day. So we got out of it. I mean, there's some weeks that we're like, I guess we'll have it in, but, you know, it enabled flexibility. But do you think that this offense can be dumbed down to a point where a team that runs more of an open style attack could adapt pieces of the power T to put in as a package? Or do you think it's like, no, you, you can't like, you know, and just, just simple run power, maybe not, maybe not even trap, but like a modified dive. Cause I know trap takes some time, but maybe like a modified dive concept, a power, a keep, maybe one counter and a play action pass or two. Do you think that's, you think that's able to be done? Dave, I'll start with you.
0: I I think I think teams have an appeal to running the T formation and they run plays out of the T formation that they resemble a goal line or short yardage offense. Uh, I, I think the power T offense is far too complex, although it looks simple, the details of what we do and how we teach our kids, their footwork, their steps, the fakes, the closeness, the intimacy, the speed, it it consumes your entire practice and your season to repetitively do those things so that you can become really good at it. Now, I think there's aspects of the power T like you can definitely take to your eye. I think teams totally underutilize faking, uh, you know, Gus uses some layered handoff with the fullback. I use layered handoffs full time. And I think, I think faking and how we fake as, as power T coaches is something that any coach running any offense that has some sort of fake could benefit from Uh, that's one aspect. And that's, that's pretty easy to to incorporate into research. But what I find interesting is when, when coaches ask me, Hey, can I make this into a package? Um, You know, we want to use it for a change of pace. We want to uh, all of a sudden be a spread team. And now we're going to double tight full house tea and we're just going to change some things up. Or we're going to use it on the goal line. And like, I don't even comprehend that, that type of philosophy anymore as far as a package. I mean, we're one package and the advantages that we get from that are 99% awesome advantages we have one area where it's a disadvantage i'll get to that at the end but the cool thing about the power t is our kids believe that any play we call can be a home run we don't get into third or fourth and long and pull something magical out where our kids go hey you know our kids are on the sideline like hey did you see Polchak i called this play because we don't have that. We don't have that trick play. We don't have that special play. I mean, if it's, if it's fourth and eight, we will call trap. I mean, because that's a home run hitter for us It powers a home run. Every play is a home run hitter and our kids know that and they believe that. So, you know, our entire offense is a goal line package. Our entire offense is a, is a third down package, right? And we have that mentality every time we step out on the field, but the beauty of it, what you don't, what you don't necessarily see is, and as a fan, is a fan standpoint, is like, uh, you know, they just, they're a scrum, right. There, there's really no blocking scheme. They're just kind of a wedge offense. And, you know, there's not many people in the stadium on a Friday night that know the details of what it is we're doing. Um, it, except maybe, you know, your old line coach, and the, the defensive coordinator on the other team, like it's so complex that it's, it's hard for other teams to practice on their scout team, uh, at least in our state where they don't see it. I mean, Gus probably gets better, you know, scout team, uh, you know, out of opponents than what we're going to get. I mean, there, we find it humorous sometimes when we see, you know, the scout team try to emulate our offense. Um, but the thing that you don't see and you might not understand is that our kids believe, man, that when it's, when we, when we call power, it's, it could be a home run every single time. You know, we're not waiting for four verticals. You know, when we call trap, it it's going to go. And the, the expectations now is that, you know, three is the minimum, right? Four or five is what we should get. You know, we're hoping for as many plays as we can in that nine to 10 yard run. Uh, but ultimately, every time we hand the ball off, we want it to be a home run. And our kids truly believe that. And I don't know if there's many offenses that are like that, uh, where, you know, it's like uh, you could call a play and go, oh, this is just a waste of a play. You know, and we're going to be lucky to get four yards on this one. Where every time you call a play in the hollow on our offense, you feel like it has that potential. Now, Where we struggle is when their philosophy doesn't quite work, right? You want to, you want to get the ball and score every time you want to limit possessions, right? You want to grind it out and, and not let the ball get in the other, hands, right? So the idea is to get the lead and sit on top of that lead and keep building on that lead, right? So when you play a team that's bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, and you get behind, well, then there's, there's everyone's, they're going to point that out and, and hold up the red flag. And well, what do you do when you get behind, you know, your offense isn't built for that, you know, and and, in some ways you got to be comfortable with saying, well, when we get behind, we're going to keep doing what we do because every play we can score instantly if it hits the right way, you know, and I've I've seen two teams come back where they haven't gone into their two minutes offense and they haven't run spread and they've just kept doing what they've, they do, and maybe they do it a little bit faster pace, and they don't huddle as long and they get up to the line and they try to, you know, call two plays, you know, on the huddle and then, you know, get up the line, run the next play right away. Like there's ways to do it, but you know, if we get in a situation where we're coming from behind and the philosophy of our offense isn't working the way you got to be, you got to be able to accept the fact that you're going to lose those games. And uh, you can't go into the next week going, well, geez, maybe we need to practice our two-minute offense more. Maybe we need to develop something to to counteract that. Well, you know, we just just don't do that. We don't put a lot of stock into that. We don't practice two-minute offense a whole lot, although we have it. But um, as far as putting that in as a package, I, I just don't know if you can do it. I think you can put the T formation in. And, and you can you can block power, uh, you can block trap, but what you're going to miss out is, is that backfield action, that fake, uh, the complexity. it's going to be a real bare bones version of what we do and uh, you can have some success doing it, but you know I, I don't mean any disrespect to anyone that's trying to do that, uh, but it, it's just a different world than
2: we live in. Right, and I didn't mean to be... Dis- no, and I didn't take it that way at all. And I, I didn't want to be disrespectful to be like, well, so can we take your offense and do it in 15 minutes? Like, that's insulting. But I know that, you know, this is something that worked for us. If we would have had to stay and spread that game, we we wouldn't... I don't know if we would have won. And so I, I think that people say, oh, it's not the X's, nose. it's the Jimmy, this is the Joe's. Sure, mm-hmm. but... I can att- I'm living proof like I've been through this and, you know, and we ran double wing, we ran power, we ran counter, we ran sweep, we ran rocket, we ran play action and like a wedge every once in a while. It was very simple. The blocking rules were very simple. I mean, We had to dumb it down, but I know psychologically that offense, I don't know if it's just a California thing, freaks people out. And I know that buddies of mine are like, well, we're going to put in the single wing or not the single wing, but like a shotgun version. I'm like, no, get in the tight ends and wings, get the sniffer there, because for some reason, when people see that offense, they melt down. And so, I mean, could you imagine a defense trying to prepare for that? Like you're you're getting fast (laughs) screens and RPOs and then all of a sudden, and then we could shift out of it and run on a normal offense, which we did a couple when teams would go big on us. We would shift out and run verts and whatever. But, you know. I know a lot of people say, well, it can't be done or you're, you know, that's a, that's not good. And I mean, there's certain offenses, like I wouldn't try to do it with the wing T as a package, but something where, you know, you could take the pieces of maybe not, like I said, maybe not the trap, maybe not all the fakes and everything, but get a power, get a counter, like something. Cause I, I believe, you know, you said you'll run trap on fourth and eight and, and having that belief that. First of all, we're not going to be in fourth and eight very much because we're not going to get negative plays. But we have that belief. But sometimes, you know, fourth and one in the other way, if it's fourth and one on the one and you're a spread team, you need something to, you know, when that when that red zone starts reducing routes and whatnot, you need something just to say F you and turn around and just go forward. So I, I was just curious about that, like if there was a way to strip out some of the pieces of it. And I, and I guess – you brought a beautiful point up, which was there's the T offense and the T formation. Those are two different things. I think that's, and and, and you see that with like the wing T people go, what's the wing T? Oh, it's buck sweep. No, I know wing T tea teams only run buck sweep. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, it's a philosophy. It's an, or as they say, an order of football. Uh, gosh, what are your thoughts on this? Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, Tell me I'm full of shit. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, no, because no,
1: because honestly Chris, uh I have a good friend
2: in Michigan uh Tim Moore
1: that uh and, and Dave knows who I'm talking about because because Tim run, runs our, our cult meeting every year up in, in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh Tim <laughs> won to state champ. Tim Tim want to stay championship doing that. Uh where they were they were half spread and half team. Now I think the difference was, you know, it, it was a small small town football. All of his kids came up in the T, uh, and he had a group of athletes that that absolutely fit the spread, but also they could get in the T because they'd run it since Pop Warner football, uh, and he won a state championship doing it that way. Um, so I mean, I've seen it done, um, you know, we, and we've dabbled. I've dabbled uh, throughout the years. Our best successor in years were where we're not uh, dabbling in like, like single wing or anything like that. Um, but the other thing too, Chris, that, that I would, I would say is in a state like California, you guys have spring football. Um, whereas obviously Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you don't have that. Uh, so I would say, yeah, if you're in a state where you have spring football and you have 12 practices or 15 practices. No, we spring, don't get,
2: we don't get anything like that. We get maybe, well, in the section I was in, we got, five practices and it was in shorts like and half the baseball team was still playing baseball we had we had a we called it spring football it was like two weeks at the end of spring but it literally rolled into summer like it wasn't anything it wasn't like in florida where you got 15 days and you scrimmage and you're in pads and whatnot but yeah sorry i had to cut you off
1: no, but I, I mean, I totally think. I mean, it's dual. I mean, anything's doable, right? i mean, if if you're if you're organized enough and you can coach it up and and you got the right kids, um, I mean, that might be the thing to put you over the top because you know from a defensive standpoint, like you're mentioning I mean that that's a tough ask. If you can line up ten personnel and run Rpos effectively and then come in and and line up thirty two personnel, but but keep the same eleven guys on the field. Uh, I mean, that's tough. And then if you get in a situation where people are trying to match personnel, like we think you're going to be in T, so we go big. And then now you're in 10, you know, that, I mean, that's tough. And it, it, I mean, it, it all comes back is, you know, can you, can you effectively do that and, and hurt the defense? But yeah, I, you know, not, I don't want to get long-lived because obviously we're, we're getting late, but, um, I, yeah, I, I think it's doable. I don't think it's easy. Um, but you know, sometimes winning is not easy, but but it sure as hell is fun.
2: Absolutely. All right. Last question. Then I'll give you the scenario and get you guys out of here. We've been going on for a while. I apologize. All right, Gus, favorite play action pass in the offense?
1: Uh, key pass.
2: Take me through that.
1: Uh, basically it's the quarterback key play. Uh, so everything is gonna look identical to the off tackle play. Uh, and what I tell my guys is not only does it have to look identical, it's got to sound identical. So when we put it in our first name pads, the first time I call this play, I'm like, I'm closing my eyes. And I'm like, I need, I need to hear the run. I need, I need to hear what, what we call our off tackle play. Um, So on the front side, we're going to get uh, a simulated combo block by, by the tight end and tackle. Uh, And that tight end is going to essentially slam release. So he's going to step down Give a give a really good combo block. Look at hands on that that five technique or that what we call six eye. Uh, and he's going to hang on that guy for for a two count, one thousand one, one thousand two, and then he's going to spin out to the flat three yards deep. Um, the tackle and guard, play side guard are going to fire out, uh, and their essentially protection is is, is going to be um, you know man protection. They're going to block it the same way that that we would block keep. Uh, the center is going to block back the uh, the backside tackle and tight end we use we use Delaware terminology for some of our stuff uh, so the backside tackle and tight end are going to step and cup uh, and in in that protection the tight end is responsible for the widest guy to the backside uh, the tackle has number two uh, the fullback is going to fit in the backside uh, essentially. Big gap filling for the pulling guard. So he's going to end up on number three and then our center is going to end up on number four. So we have the ability on this play to protect four week week uh, with our protection uh, because the quarterback, when, when he meshes with that backside halfback uh, that's running his, his off tackle path, it's going to be a, a slow uh, elongated ride uh, where that backside halfback is actually going to throttle down slightly. Uh, take short choppy steps around the quarterback and then he's going to insert uh in the in the front side b gap and he's a dual read guy uh where where he's looking inside out on on the first inside linebacker to show her the play side b um so deception should be good uh but we don't want him to be a, a down the field guy because he is if we were to get a run through in that front side b gap he is responsible for that Backside guard is going to pull uh, fairly flat down the line of scrimmage, and he's, he's trying to circle up the end man on the line of scrimmage, so he wants to get down the line of scrimmage as quickly as possible, um, get to a position that's at least one yard outside the end man on the line of scrimmage, uh, and then he's going to turn and look to engage but not, not go beyond the line of scrimmage. Frontside halfback is going to find the cleanest path out that is in the way that we coach it is it's not a J path and it's not a pass release. It has to be somewhere in between. So if it's a J path, they're too tight and they get hung up. They typically honestly get tackled typically by an outside linebacker. Uh, And if they're too wide, that screams pass. So we want them wide, but not too wide. Find a way out and they're going to run an eight yard flag route. Uh, So the quarterback, like I said, is going to slow mesh with the backside halfback, come off the ride, get his eyes up, and he's looking flag first. Um, And if that's not open, he's looking to the drag underneath. And if the drag is remotely covered, then he's going to make a go call. Um, And we've had to kind of change how we coach this because back in the day, that go call put, put the play side tight end on a dedicated peel back block. Um, and, and we would, we, we would get kill shots. Um, and now obviously you can't coach it that way. So now, now we coach for him just to turn back towards uh, the ball and, uh, and set a pick and take a charge from, uh, from the nearest defender on, on a go call. Um, but you know, from a defensive perspective, if I'm like a play side safety or corner and I'm keying tight end in your back, I mean, I see tight end down block. I see lineman coming off the ball, low hat. Uh, I see the halfback inside. I see a backside guard pull. Uh, everything about that play on the first three steps is going to screen pass. Uh, and if that guy's flat-footed or he takes a step forward, that halfback's going to be beyond him. And now it's a question of whether we can actually throw it and catch it. So that is, I mean, I think every, every T team, that is that is their base, day one, install, pass play. Uh, there's obviously different route combinations you can run with, with a playside tight end and, and the playside halfback. Um, but that through the years, through the ages has been, uh, old reliable. Love it.
2: How about you, Dave?
0: Yeah, that's, that's my go-to two point play. Uh, cause you always get a, you know, you get that quarterback, uh, run, run pass option. Um, my, my favorite play is based off of that, uh, quarterback key pass. Uh, what we do is, um, we keep the backside guard home. Uh, we take the backside tight end and drag him across the field. Uh, our quarterback makes a a token fake to our halfback. We we want everyone to know that the quarterback still has the ball, and and then we throw our halfback up and the the clean up any kind of garbage we can find, um, and then our quarterback proceeds to sprint out. What we do what we do off the backside is similar to what Gus says. We'll hinge back there. Um, with our guard and our tackle, we'll insert our fullback into that that A or B gap. Um, And then we tell our quarterback, to instead of sprinting out, to start getting some more depth because we throw it back to the fullback on a throwback screen um, to that weak side. So our backside tackle uh, and guard, you know, essentially they they eventually let those guys go through. And when we get guys that attack hard off the backside edge – Uh, it it sets up that fullback gets out there and you know makes his block and then we get a little screen team by our tackle and and guard Uh, and then your quarterback pretty much turns and throws it blind but uh, never had one pick six Uh, we don't run it too often Uh, and and what it does is is you know, we got to show it mid because it takes us forever to get to it in practice. And when we do show it mid season, what we do is it takes off a lot of, uh, a lot of those guys that pin their ears back on the backside and just try to chase us down. It slows them up just a little bit. Um, cause they know we have the ability to go screen back there. So if, if we, if it is, you know, fourth and eight, uh, you know, Everyone's yelling, "Hey, watch that screen!" And we know we're running traps, so it doesn't really matter. But it gives another option there. To uh, it, it does a couple things. It can be a big play, uh, but but it also slows down that backside, and it's fun to practice. We like to give our fullback our fullbacks never catching the ball, ever. So this is the one play where he gets uh, you know to get his hands on the ball and to be a receiver. So we kind uh, of him a bone there. That's my favorite play action.
2: There you go. Now, guys, we've been going for almost three hours now. (laughs) Um, And it just shows that, you know, an offense that's been around for so long and, and has so much history, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, I know. I mean, think about this. I mean, you've done this for 15 years, Gus and Dave. Eight years? Is it eight, six? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've been a few different
2: places, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, <laughs> the the between, just between the two of you, not to mention, you know, throwing guys in like Irv, how how, it's just how much knowledge there is in the level of detail. And like you said, if you're going to run a few plays, you got to be detailed, you know, because otherwise, what are you going to practice? You know what I mean? If you're not going to practice a bunch of different plays, you're going to practice execution it has to be the smallest of details. And I I really have respect for guys. That's probably my biggest weakness as a coach is I for like the minute details, the real technical, technical stuff. Because as fat as I am, I've always been in the back end where it's not as technical, especially with like safeties and stuff. It's not as technical as a position. You know, they'll be like, coach, how should I do my stance? I don't care. Whatever's comfortable. As long as you're not you know, changing directions or having to hop up when your stance or you're too low or whatever, but there's not, I mean, could you imagine just telling a Lyman that I don't care? You <laughs> know, I don't care about your stance, whatever, you know what I mean? But the details there now I was going to change the question, but I'm actually going to go back. So here's the scenario that I usually use. Okay. Cause I'm interested to hear what you have to say on this. Dave, we'll start with you. The situation is fourth and eight. Okay. 35-yard line going in, state championship. Now, there's 11 seconds left. Now, usually what I'll say is the play, you know, you've got a timeout. You've got a great kicker. Now, we've discovered that you don't kick field goals. So, I am kind of interested to hear how you would handle the situation. So, start over, you know, fourth and nine, 35-yard line going in, 11 seconds left. One timeout, you're in the state championship game like I said, I usually cue up the guests to say what play you're going to get to try to get the first and kick the field goal to win the game. But since you don't have the kicker and that's, it's kind of part of your philosophy, right? We don't punt. We don't kick field goals. What would you do in a situation like that? How would you approach that?
0: <clears throat> I it, And yep. there's, there's the one time that, you know, not having a field goal kicker could, could hurt you. And with 11 seconds left, there's no guarantee you're going to get, you know, two plays run if, if your first one's going to be a run. So I think my first one would have to be a, a, a pass. And we have a play called Michigan pass. Uh, mm-hmm. that's bad. Is it, you know, it's a, it's a play action pass and there's, you know, we, we typically run it one way, right? We put both tight ends on a flag. Uh, we, we run our play side, half back our right, halfback, right down the middle of the field. And, um, you know, we, we token fake to that, that, uh, that halfback and it takes a little bit of time, but it's usually our best play to get a guy open. Um, you know, I'd probably take a shot at Michigan pass with, with maybe a different route than what we typically run. There's a couple different ways to, you know, to, to cross your guys up, um, you know, but I, I want to get the ball in the, in the, in the hands of my best kid. And my best kid is usually uh, my right half back um, and having him streaking down the middle of the field, it wouldn't be a bad idea at that point. Um, but honestly, it, uh, you know, when I, when I go into timeouts with my kids um, and the game is on the line or first down is going to win, you know, win the game. Like I really listen to what my kids say and they know the best call a lot of times for the game that we're, you, you, the situation that we're in, you know, obviously a state championship. I <laughs> had coach probably going to be chirping in my ear too. And, and, and thinking about things, but, you know, I would, I would, I'd probably take one, the, the one play that we have that could get us into that end zone and it's going to be uh, the Michigan pass. Um, and if that goes incomplete, uh, we would run a, we would probably run a trap or a power after that. Um, and just because the conventional way of thinking is that you're going to throw the ball and you need to throw the ball to get it in the end zone. And again, our kids will believe that any play is going to be a home run. A trap or a power uh, could take it to the house.
2: Right. And so, you could have the first hook and ladder trap in the history of the game.
0: It, right I mean that's when we run two minute offense right we do yeah we do a hook and ladder I mean we call it we call out those shots just they have fun at the end of practice and why not I mean if if we go four verticals we hardly ever practice that or we you know we don't practice two minute I mean we're probably just as much luck being a successful running a you know a double reverse or a, a, a hook and ladder I mean it's you're not going to be very good at things you don't practice very often. So, uh, you know, to get exotic in those types of situations, it's more about having fun in practice. And and if you can actually pull it off in a game, that's even better. But I, uh, you know, we hope to never get in those situations. So, uh, that's what I'm going. I'm interested to hear what Gus has to say because he's got way more many years of uh, uh, maybe being in more situations like this than we have
2: been so well before he answers I'll be taking
0: notes Gus (laughs) well before he
2: answers I want to I want to commission you uh I want to see a I want to see a trap I want to see you install trap I know I like install new plays now but I'm going to take two plays that you run to combine them to create something new I want to see a five seconds left 35 yard I want to see this in practice filmed and sent to me so I can repost it on twitter I want to see you run a hook and ladder off a trap. <laughs> so run the trap, have the tight ends cross and then have that guy pitch it back and run, run the drill. I think I would die and go to heaven.
0: You know, we do run a, we run a pop pass. Uh, and we, we've we tried to put some sort of hook and ladder into a pop pass. It doesn't work very well, but um, you know, it, there's a play. There's, we, we do, we do trap fake off of that, you know, that pop pass and, dive full back in there. So it does look like, uh, we're close. We're not far off. It could be done coach.
2: Love it. All right. Gus, what you got?
0: Well, I have, I
1: have an actual situation I'm looking at right now on film and this is, this is from Minnesota in 2019. Uh, Steve right. Hamilton is a head coach at Elk, at Elk river. This they apparently in Minnesota, they call this the, uh, Monticello or Monticello miracle. So Elk river, which is a T tea team is on their 42 yard line. They are down 55, 52 in a semifinal game. There are two seconds left on the clock and they throw the, the Michigan pass that they've just described for a 58 a yard touchdown to win the game with no time on the clock. Oh my God. So if you, if you get on Twitter and you look up, I looked up elk river miracle that that's the play they ran. It <laughs> is unbelievable. That well, first of all, I'm looking at the defense, and they are they still have 11 dudes within seven yards of the ball, and oh it's the last God. play of the game. And I'm
2: like, I I don't know if that's as you would say, Chris, a winning business model in that situation. <laughs> well, um, but but is it? I mean, uh, <laughs> let me let me stop and let me stop there. I mean, if I mean, I wouldn't put him within seven yards, but kind of let's let's use let's let's use the philosophy you guys talk about on the defensive side. Okay, you've been practicing against the soft and saw week. You talk to a guy like Dave who's like, I'm running trap on fourth and eight. I mean, I guess there's only two seconds left. So maybe I take all this back, but let's say, let's say it's the same down in distance, but there's 13 seconds left. You know, I'm sitting there as a DC and I'm thinking, yeah, these guys don't throw the ball very much. I'm not, you know, especially under center would, you know, I'm thinking now I'm going to blitz, but I'm afraid if I get too stupid and you hit that trap, it's going to defeat the kids. I mean, What's more heartbreaking than giving up an eight, you know, a twelve-yard trap on fourth and eight to win a state championship game? You know what I mean? Like, you want to talk about, and then you do, then you do Michigan pass with a touchdown. Like that's mentally debilitating. But I, I don't know. I mean, I guess with two seconds left, yeah, I would, I would back it I up. You
1: get everybody back because yeah, I because they they actually do. They actually have two guys deep, and I'm looking at it. And the deep guy tries to break on the ball and mistimes his jump and the ball gets passed. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh God. The misery. And, and the, yeah, I like, I, God bless Dave, um, for running trap on fourth and eight for a state championship. Uh, I would have to walk <laughs> back to the locker room through the entire town of Cedar Springs. Uh, if I called that play and didn't make it, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't make it back in the locker room after that. So, um, <laughs> My so so here here's my play call in that situation. Uh, we're going to get five guys out in the route, and uh, we're going to run a waggle throwback to the halfback. Uh, so out of the T, uh, we'll go we'll, we'll go right to left. So uh, right tight end is going to run a a flag. Left tight end is going to run a wide release drag route where he is responsible for running at the inside shoulder of the near safety, uh, and making body contact with him. Uh, if he can hook the arm and and hook him with him and get his eyes on him, that's even better. Okay. Uh, the right halfback is going to fake off tackle to the left, uh, and then throttle down for three steps. And then he's going to run the wheel route up, up the left sideline. Mm-hmm. Uh fullback is, is gonna fake trap and then settle in and he's gonna be a, a dual read guy in the protection, scanning, scanning inside out. He'll probably end up on whoever the widest rusher is to the right. Uh backside guard. Uh we would probably, even though this is not our typical waggle protection, he's probably gonna stay in. Uh left tackle is gonna, gonna stay in a block. Uh the left halfback is going to be a wide what we call a bender route. It's essentially a post route out of the backfield. His job is he's got the same thing that the tight end had on the near safety, except he's got to take whoever the widest defender is, probably a corner, uh, and he's got to run at his outside shoulder and then break across his face and try to pull him back into the middle of the field. Quarterback's going to fake boot to the right, take three steps, and then he's, it's essentially turn and blind throw because we're a guy short in the protection. Uh, If they bring an edge guy off, off our left edge, that guy's coming clean. So our quarterback knows uh, it's pretty much all or nothing. If everybody does their job, there's nobody on the guy running the wheel up the sideline. The quarterback's going to, going to get stroked in the face. uh, But I just, you know, I tell them like, as you're hitting the deck, whatever, whatever sideline yells the loudest, you're going to know if you either completed it or landed, landed (laughs) in the stand. So um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, not not the exact same situation, but a but a third six on a thirty five in a in a playoff game from a couple of years back. We ran it and, and got thirty yards on it. So, um, you know, and, and obviously probably calling this coming out of a timeout uh, and reminding our kids that, you know, if if we complete it and you're not going to score, you can get your ass out of bounds. Um, you know, if we get tackled inbounds and we've got to run up and spike, well, you've got
2: got a timeout. That's right. Yeah. yeah, So we, we,
1: yeah. So yeah, we would run up and call the timeout, but we, obviously if you're not going to score, then, then get out of bounds if you can. So that, yeah, that's, that's my play.
2: Awesome stuff, guys. Thank you so much for your time. I did not expect for this to go this long. I kind of, when I started this podcast, I'm going to keep it to an hour. I'm going to keep it to an hour. You know, I want to, I want to shorten things up. Now we're over three, but a fascinating discussion about something that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, if you're a head coach and you're in an area where your kids are more physical and strong than they are fast. um, If you're going up against a bunch of spread teams and you want to run a different offense and you want to play defense and control the ball, control the clock, control the game. And and you've listened to this and you're like, damn, this is some really cool stuff, or or you have some ideas, hit these guys up. They're phenomenal coaches and they're phenomenal men. Uh, Both have been super nice to me. Before I let you guys go, shoot out uh, or shout out your Twitter handles, Gus. You're at, at Gus Kapolka?
1: Yeah, Gus underscore Kapolka. Real simple.
2: Perfect. And that's K A L P O L K A?
0: K A P O L K A.
2: Okay, and then uh, Dave, what's yours?
0: Uh, Rock Poltrack, P O L T R O C K. Uh, my nickname's Rock, so <laughs> easy to remember.
2: These guys are are just great dudes and love sharing their knowledge. And you may have to pass a few background checks and some maybe some weird blood brother kind of rituals, but I'm sure they'll talk to you. They talk <laughs> to me, and I'm a I'm a in the enemy. I'm the defensive coach. So, <laughs> coaches, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. It was, it was a pleasure.
0: Thanks a lot, coach.
2: Thank you again to Gus Kapolka and Dave poltrak for coming on the show. Had a blast talking Power T offense. And once again, Gus, thanks for the Red Bull. Housekeeping notes. Check out the Kurt Warner Q&A webinar and the new Belichick Flores Dime Package video that I put up on YouTube, youtube.com slash Football. Check me out on Twitter at CoachVass and also the show's account at RunVassOption. Linktree.com slash Vass has all of my links, including the Patreon, CoachTube courses, my website, merchandise, and not only my CoachTube courses, but my CoachTube courses of the week which again you can check out jake timmerman's pass protection course also make sure you check out that hollow camera it is awesome thanks for joining us and whether your favorite play is four verts or your mo is three yards in a cloud of dust we got you covered